Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it? Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it's just podcast like it's podcast like it's 1999. You want a podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it's 1999. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Liskov. And with me today, returning to talk about magazines, is Tori Brevetti, uh, co-host of the podcast Best of the Americans, the Rewatch Podcast, and Emma Fraser. Uh, <laughs> freelance writer focused on costume design, pop culture. She's uh, written for Little White Lies, Vulture, and Elle. We're here to talk about a magazine that I don't know if that many people... like. I, I feel like generationally, and I feel like Emma and I are closer than Tori, who's a child. Um, <laughs> we, I, I, mm. Emma, do you remember this magazine existing? Me? Yes, yeah, Emma, I, yes. I, I do. I, we didn't... Um have it as much over here well i remember right. buying it when lord of the rings came out or sure, sure. The Rings. um but in terms like it wasn't like a rolling stone where i had seen right. it a lot because empire was more the big one um, right so, is, so and still is sure uh, just to sort of give a little bit of context essentially this magazine started in france it was a french magazine called premiere it started in 76 and then in uh 1987 they created a UK imprint, or sorry, US imprint of it, um, which started with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks on the cover for Dragnet, a movie that kind of doesn't really exist now. Um, and then it ended in its run in April of 2007 with Will Ferrell on the cover. On the cover, um, so it ran for you know ran for about you know 30 years or so, um, or 20 years. I'm doing my math incorrectly. Um, 
And it was a big magazine, at least for me being a film nerd uh, in the 90s. Uh, It kind of had its heyday in that decade, I would say. And then magazines, by and large, as we all know, have sort of slowly died, unfortunately, but um, or are dying. Um, So I, I kind of wanted to do this because it felt like an opportunity to talk specifically about sort of like movie magazines, you know, there there was kind of this time when, and I guess we still have it now, but sort of the specificity of magazines that existed in a time when they could like really kind of hone in on a specific thing. Um, and this magazine was just purely about movies. Um, and and what and and I thought it was pretty insightful. I'm very curious because we all kind of as a disclaimer to our listeners, we didn't cover every single issue because, quite frankly, we had to buy these issues on eBay. So uh, we didn't buy them all because, quite frankly, I don't need to own an issue with Vince Vaughn or Johnny Depp on the cover. Um, <laughs> but I, we, we did kind of get into all of them for the most part. And I found these articles were pretty in-depth on issues of its time that now, in hindsight, are... are uh, kind of interesting to kind of dive into. Um, it also, you know, I'm, I'm obviously, obviously interested to hear all your thoughts about the various things that they cover in these issues, but they kind of dig into uh, the technical filmmaking stuff that is really, I found fascinating to talk about now. And I, and I, I took some pictures uh, from a James Cameron article that I posted on Twitter yesterday in particular uh, I thought the James Cameron and 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 George Lucas articles, um, in particular, were interesting <laughs> to the world that we live in now. So there's a bunch of stuff uh, that I thought were really fascinating. But w- what did you guys think about about the sort of from from thirty thousand feet? What did you think about this magazine and 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 sort of these issues? I um I thought it felt kind of trade esque, but and it was like it was weird. It had like it was like an amalgamation of being like a trade magazine. Yeah. And um, it felt more tradey than, say, Empire um, sure, does. Sure. Like, it felt more kind of inside baseball. Yeah. Uh, like, in, and it, I found the profiles interesting um, as, as well. There's a lot of women writers. There's a lot of yes. women, like, doing the profiles, which I was not expecting. Um, pleasantly so yeah, surprised by that. Yeah, yeah no, really yes. pleasantly surprised. Um, so, yeah, it was, I just thought it was, like, an, yeah, an interesting mix of trade um, reviews. Yeah, it wasn't what I remember, but then I, I had only bought, like, yeah, like, I think that one issue of, like, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Sure. It, it definitely felt like it, um, it, it sort of had its finger on the pulse. I can only assume. Because again, like I obviously wasn't out here then, so I don't really know. Um, and as we all know, even now, it's all kind of, you know, speculation in a lot of ways. It's just people sort of assuming that they know what's going on. Um, <laughs> but but some of it did feel like there's there's one uh, article in particular, and I can't remember which which issue it's in, talking about star power and all of the like castings that are going, and you're just like bizarro castings that at the time you're just like really you were chasing this person for this role uh so that stuff was fun but tori what did you think uh to go off that so many films that were just never made that they mentioned like were in production (laughs) (laughs) or or weren't released around this time as well i mean infamously i or not infamously but i I posted a an amazing line about reindeer games that that uh, that i will that i will read when we get to that issue and and just thinking like reindeer games didn't even get released in 99 like they punted that to 2000 because they knew that that movie wasn't very good. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's just, it's it's amazing to see sort of, and this is, 
I guess what's great about this magazine in a lot of ways is the microcosm of this town and how things get kind of blown out of proportion um, for good and for bad. Sometimes it's to try to make a movie, you know, sell or a career bigger than it is. There are many profiles of many people that I'm just like, this person was never going to be a thing, but you guys really tried to make them a thing. Um, So that kind of stuff I thought was funny. Yeah, and I, I found, like, the photo shoots interesting because they're, like, pretty bad on the whole. Like, the styling <laughs> is awful. Like, it's not like a Vanity Fair. One. Yeah, it's, like, it's not like a Vanity Fair shoot where, like, you know, every, it looks like they've just thrown whatever clothes they had yep. nearby. They're, like, here, wear this horrible top. Like Even some of the covers... The yeah, cover shoots as well. Miles. It's really crazy that I mean well, the the first issue that we'll we'll probably dive into is the February one, and Christina Ricci on the cover is crazy. Like some of these photo shoots. Now again, I don't even and you'll you guys will know this better than I will. But just like is that emblematic of the time, or is that emblematic of this magazine? I think it's a tiny bit of the time, but mostly of the magazine. <laughs> Because our Rolling Stone covers, which we talked about in our previous episode together, those magazine covers were sort of, first of all, iconic in their own way, right? Because there's a bunch of those there that have stood the test of time. A different magazine, a much more popular magazine, a different different thing. Um, But those magazine covers were just like, I don't know, just amazingly sort of, they really just pop. Whereas a lot of these just feel sort of slapped together. It looks like catalog shoots. I'm not kidding. Like looking at this is a catalog shoot. This is what you would get. Like, well, from even like she just held the up the, the cruel intentions cover, but like even this one, where it's just like they just look sad and, and emaciated and like blown out. This picture is the cover of uh, of Winona with Winona Ryder and, and uh, Angelina Jolie. Now, admittedly, maybe that's just part of what they're trying to get across with this movie that is its own heady movie in itself. But still, like. Yeah, crazy. These shows, even this one too, this this Heather Graham one. Yeah. Which is bubblicious. Like, and it's just her. Yeah. Kim oh Winslet just looking super like, bored. Yeah. I had that top probably. Like, <laughs> well, I should not yeah. have the top of a couple of star when I was like 14 <laughs> or whatever. Like, <laughs> they're just, they're crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, it is interesting that the, the fashion, it's, I mean, it's not a fashion magazine, right? So I no. think that it's pretty clear that they're not even Trump. Is everything okay, uh, Tori? My cat. <laughs> Tori just looked yeah. very concerned for a My second. My cat is like going crazy. That's fine. Right. We, can't, okay. we can't hear it. It's all good. No worries. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so well, let's start from the, the, the very first issue uh, of 99 is, is one with Vince Vaughn. So we're, we're, we did not, we didn't buy this issue. We didn't dive into this issue. Uh, there are, several things on this cover that are problematic, which is why I was just like, we don't need to... Vince Vaughn being perhaps the first one. Uh, this is right before Psycho comes out. Or did Psycho come out in 98? I think it came out I think in 98. Psycho was 98, yeah. <clears throat> so it was right. It was December or November of 98. So he's on the cover of January of 99, which I guess, again, they're trying to make him into a dramatic leading man. Uh, we all kind of know how that happened or played out. Um, he then becomes sort of pivots back to comedy, becomes obviously much bigger in comedy, and and now he's whatever he is. But 
On top of that, on the cover, we have Mel Gibson's power play and John Travolta's Scientology flick. So <laughs> there's just a bunch of things on this cover. Also, Mighty Joe Young um, and uh, Thin Red Line is on the cover as well. And Angelina Jolie is is there's a there's a sort of sub headline on her as well. Um, we didn't talk about this issue. Let's just talk about this cover, I guess. What are our thoughts on Vince Vaughn? Tori, your face seems to seems to speak that you have thoughts. No. Uh, nothing positive. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Really? He was. Like, no I mean, thoughts. he does. He's, he's good. He's a good-looking guy. I mean, I, I do understand why they thought he could perhaps be a leading man. It's a. It's a. You know, it's a good cover. I don't know. Also, the Slacker thing's weird, right? Like, I mean, I guess that would have come out like around the time the movie did, but I don't know because like, Psycho was obviously such a like flaw, like. Yes. Although I have a funny story about Psycho. So the Please. only time I've ever Skyped work called in sick, because I worked at McDonald's. Um, I was like 16. Okay. And uh, uh, the guy I was going out with at the time was like, come to Birmingham. We're going to go shopping and, and see Psycho. Who? Uh, <laughs> what a date. What a lovely <laughs> date. When and saw, I, I called in sick for my shift. Um, like literally the only time I've ever done this. And went to see ever? Psycho. And I, yeah. <laughs> like, wow. yeah. And You're I, much more well, diligent worker than I ever was. <laughs> right. And also, I was like, that was my punishment, though. I think that's why I never did it again, because I was like, I saw Psycho. <laughs> sure. yeah. like- I, I saw Psycho in the theater as well, for what it's worth. I saw it with friends. I remember seeing it. And I remember I remember that... And Tori, have you seen uh, the Gus Van Sant Psycho? No. You're totally You're fine. fine. You're I fine. did not see it in theaters. I was four, so... <laughs> Yeah. Missed, missed out on that Good opportunity. Um, <laughs> but I remember it was a big thing because, well, first of all, it was a remake of a, of a, cl- a Stone Cold classic that people are just like, maybe don't fuck with this perfect movie. Um, but it was a shot-for-shot remake. So, like, literally every shot is exactly the same from the original film, except recast and in color. With the exception of the masturbation scene as well. He added that little masturbation scene. A little bit. So, like, you know, keep the whole movie, but just, you know, you want to see, like, like, Vince masturbating through a Correct. And and there was, like, a chopper shot that, I guess, Hitchcock really wanted to do back in the day, but couldn't, so Gus Van Sant did it. It was just the oddest experiment, and it was also, like... This is one of the reasons why I really hope that the podcast blank check covers Gus Van Sant someday because it's such a weird blank check. It's like he cashed in all of his chips from Goodwill Hunting to make a psycho shot for shot psycho remake. It's a bizarre. It's a very bizarre thing. Um, but to but to your point, Emma, it was a big movie. It was a flop, yeah. but it was a big movie. Yeah. Um, so they're you know they're just trying to do what they what they were with uh, with Vince Vaughn. So the first issue that we're going to really dive into is. Uh, the Millennium Issue, which has Christina Ricci on the cover, crawling out of a pod. <laughs> <laughs> out of what I guess could only be described as some sort of a space pod, um, dressed in... Ugh. How would you describe this? You guys will do a better job of describing her outfit than it's I will. very Barbarella 60s, like teeny tiny, uh, mm-hmm. like silver hot pants, sheer top. It feels very much like it's trying to be like a 60s B-movie for some reason. Right, but also like kind of cool, like not yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Because like there, it's it's not trying to be um, period. Like it's not trying no. to tip its hat to these things. Sure, it yeah. thinks it's being cutting edge. Yes, it's being millennium. It's being Y two K. Y two K. I love Y two K fashion and like. 
just the way they assumed everything would be. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's, <laughs> it's I mean, oh my God. I, we are uh, at some point going to do a Y2K episode because I feel like we just oh. have to like really <laughs> dive into the paranoia that existed <sighs> around that time. Um, yeah. The completely unfounded paranoia that was, it's just tremendous. Um, but this issue was a really great issue because it, 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 it was trying to guess things from 20 years in the future. So it was a fair amount of like predictive stuff. So you had uh, George Lucas and James Cameron in particular talking about the future of filmmaking, the future of distribution, digital filmmaking, all that sort of stuff, special effects. Um, you had a 20 stars for the year 2020. So 20 people that they guessed would be stars in 2020, which Not we'll dive terrible. into. Yeah, they're pretty Not good. Not terrible. Yeah. Like a lot I of them were, but, but, but wouldn't Some we, of them were gimmies, right? Yeah. 100%. Let's just, we'll just dive into that right now because I'm just like, most of these people are pretty obvious, right? Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, you, you can't tell me that like Ewan McGregor, Kate Winslet, Paul Thomas Anderson, <laughs> Natalie Portman, Will Smith, Leonardo DiCaprio. These are not people that you're just like, yeah, these aren't flyers. <laughs> no. um, and then Freddie Prince Jr., which proves to not really be a thing. Um, but the great calls for me were Charlize Theron, who at the time is not really like she's sort of bubbling, but isn't really a thing. Because um, in 99, she has... She has the astronaut's wife, um, which is a crazy bad movie. Um, <clears throat> and then the other person they call is Sarah Polly, which obviously, as anyone who's listened to this podcast knows, I'm an enormous Sarah Polly fan, and they they call that out. But but when you say, I mean, you bought this issue, Tori. Um, <laughs> this was kind of these were a lot of gimmies. Norman Reedus, though. Sorry to like jump oh, in. Yeah, that yeah, one, yeah. like, sure, like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Called because of. Boondock Saints? Yeah, is that, I think that why was, he's on this list? I think, I can't remember. That's the only movie he has in 99. So okay. my assumption is that they're just like, Boondock Saints is going to be huge, which, I mean, they weren't totally wrong, I guess. It's a massive, massive, terrible movie, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they could have predicted Walking was... Dead. <laughs> Sorry, Tori, what were you saying? I said Isaiah Washington is a choice. Also a choice. Um, I mean, Out of Sight to come out at 98. Yes, yes. Great movie. Um, yeah, I, there's nothing. <laughs> we, to unpack Isaiah Washington is its own episode unto itself. But yeah, it's a, it's a choice. Um, so I want to talk about the the sort of the two... Well, okay, let's talk about the Christina Ricci um, piece. Because they... So she's on the cover, as I mentioned. Um, they say Christina Ricci, queen of the... What does it say? Oh, the Wild Frontier. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sub-headline of her article is, by the year 2020, she should be just about the coolest 40-year-old <laughs> movie in the galaxy, movie star in the galaxy. Now, mm-hmm. listen, I love Christina Ricci. I don't have anything bad to say about Christina Ricci. Um, she's she's currently uh, starring in, a friend of mine has a, a, a Showtime television series that that is going to be coming out hopefully later this year uh, that she's in. Um, love Christina Ricci. Don't have anything really bad to say about her. I think it's a little bit of an overshoot at this point in her career to say that she's going to be the next big thing. But do you think that that's indicative of we can get Christina Ricci for this piece, so let's just say that this is going to be the next big star? Or do you think that they yeah. were just shooting their shot? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> 
I think yeah. she was like the person of the time. And they were like, well, let's just say this. It sounds great. Sure. And no one sure. will read this in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> they were wrong. <laughs> yeah. There's three people that are going to dedicate an entire episode of podcasting to this uh, this year. <sighs> I thought that the article with her, and I guess I'm curious by and large, because these these kind of star pieces that they did all kind of have a similar... I don't want to say vibe, but maybe vibe's the right word, of like, they're kind of odd because they don't paint the people that they're interviewing particularly well. Yeah. Can we get to it? Yeah. That like, it's, it's always yeah. like, the, the style, it's always like smoking. Like, that's always like a detail. Like, probably not eating very much. It's, it's, it's always a slight level of contempt for the right? person. Especially yeah. women, I found. Yes. And we'd be women writing about women sometimes. Like, there's um, slightly tangential, but there's like a Kate Hudson Vanity Fair cover from 2000 that I read not that long ago. And I couldn't believe how much the interviewer seemed to hate her. <laughs> like, the one that jumps like, out at me is the Heather like, Graham one. Yes. yes. That's the one I was thinking of. The yeah. Heather Graham one, which, which we'll get to, is wild. It is like, <laughs> it's like a hatchet piece. It's just mm, like, they're yeah. just like, I'm like, why would anybody want to be in this magazine? Like, why would any PR person let their star be in this magazine? It's crazy. It's crazy. This one doesn't feel as brutal, but it definitely has a tinge of looking down their nose at Christina Ricci a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll say this. In 99, she's got two pretty big movies. She's one of many, many people in 200 Cigarettes, and she's very good in 200 Cigarettes. I don't know if... Have you seen 200 Cigarettes, Tori? Or no, I haven't. No, no, I haven't. If you, I think you guys would really like it. It's a crazy cast. Um, it's Ben Affleck and uh, uh, Christina Ricci, um, uh, Gabby Hoffman. Uh, I mean, it's it's like a who's who. It's a crazy huge cast um, that I think I think you guys would enjoy. And 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 Gabby Hoffman, these girls from I believe it's Long Island, and they just do these insane Long Island accents. Highly, highly recommend. The other bigger, the much bigger film that Christina Ricci has in 99 is Sleepy Hollow, which we'll get to uh, in an issue later down the road. Um, It's an interesting year for her. She has an interesting kind of moment in her career, but she never fully blows up to be sort of a movie, movie star. Um, Yeah, it's a weird piece. And we'll get to sort of the the cruel intentions piece as well there's a lot of this like when you're younger there's a lot of like patronizing kind of component Mm -hmm, yeah and when you're older it's 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 tearing you apart for being a sex symbol so there's that um so the other two pieces and they're sort of the two bigger pieces um are on james cameron and george lucas um we'll start with the george lucas one I guess let's talk about them both at the same time because they kind of both hit on something that I wanted to talk about with you guys, which is, um, I don't really know what the best way to kind of describe this, but I guess it's sort of ego, but also wanting so desperately to be the tip of the spear, technologically speaking, that you don't think about the fallout of the things that you're doing. So, like, I think about what George Lucas and James Cameron, from a digital frontier perspective, have done to kill the mid-budget, smaller, independent movie. 
Um, and, and I would also argue possibly the theatrical experience as a whole. And it's sort of hard to not be like, it's impressive what you guys have done. I don't mean to take anything away from how impressive their abilities are, but I wonder if they're cognizant of the bigger picture. And I'm curious as to sort of what your thoughts are on, on that. I mean, I also think that George Lucas doesn't seem to understand what people like about well, Star too. Wars. No, like, no. And obviously, this is pre-Phantom Menace coming out as well. So I guess people are like, oh, what's he going to do? And then like, if you just think about something like Baby Yoda, for example, and he's going on about all the things he can create with digital and how wonderful it is. And then you look at where we've gone we back to. <laughs> and if Baby Yoda was a, like a CGI thing, I don't think anyone would give a shit. Like, and people no. would just be like, meh. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it's it's a really good point, Emma. It does feel as though, um, and this is sort of by and large the the lack of of the tactile. Um, it, it you can sense it. You can you know what I mean when you're watching something and it's moving in a way, Uncanny Valley. No, right? Um, mm-hmm. This picture of James Cameron. Can we talk about this for a second? Uh, is he is. Standing in front he's of a, a, he's, he's definitely feeling himself. Uh, <laughs> he's standing in front of like it looks like a star field, like uh, sort of in front of a, a you know the, the space, wearing a black an all black outfit. It's like a trench coat sort of situation. It looks like like a black long trench coat. Describe this hat for me, Emma. What would you say this hat is? Oh, I don't have the picture. I need. Oh, to... I'm sorry. Okay, um, it's all good. Uh, I'll send it to you. <laughs> it's, uh, I have all the the. Um, I probably have it on my email. But, uh, it's all good. It's okay. We don't. We uh, apologies to our listeners. Uh, it's 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 sort of like a pirate hat almost. It's like this. It's like a turned up. Do you know what I'm talking about, Tori? Because um, yeah. it's from. I believe it's from your issue. Yeah, I got it. Don't worry. Okay, cool. There you go. She's holding it up now. Uh, <laughs> It kind of looks like a bowler hat. Yeah. Why? It's, like it's a, a weird little top bit, but it's turned up at the sides. Yeah. Top hatty. Yeah. There we go. It's it's it's, it's he's feeling himself. Is to to put it to put it uh, in the parlance of our times. Uh, I I think that um, I'm curious about. So 97 Titanic comes out. It's been two years since Titanic. He has not followed it up. He won't follow it up until 2006. Is that when oh. Avatar is? 2006, 2007? Um, yeah, right around then. It might be even later. I think it's 09. Was, My apologies, it's 09. Was that, yeah. his, next, was that his next film? He does a bunch <laughs> of IMAX fucking things. Oh, right. And he does okay. things that just no one really... You know, he does a bunch of documentaries. But yeah, he... Because Avatar was and continues to be obviously this state-of-the-art thing, he was determined to make sure that he didn't do anything until uh, it was what he wanted it to be. So he, he spends a decade essentially figuring out what his follow-up will be. Um, It's interesting to hear him talk about the lessons that were learned from Titanic. And by that, I mean uh, length. People thinking that a long movie equals a good movie (laughs) when pacing is really like the thing. Um, There's also a lot of people that try to sort of do big Hollywood sweeping old school epic things I mean, I guess I think the most kind of glaring example of this is Pearl Harbor. That feels like the movie that really tries to 
kind of retcon a bunch of Titanic-y things, a, a love triangle, a historical moment. Uh, you, know, all, uh, you know, it's fucking long. It's expensive. It's all these things. There's a big boat, lots of boats that sink. Like, I think that they just thought, like, this is, and we're, you know, we've got movie stars. We're going to make movie stars out of Kate Beckinsale and Josh Hartnett. And it, it, so I, I do wonder whether or not there was just a lot of bad lessons learned from Titanic. Um but I do think he kind of hits the nail on the head about about a couple of them. He's surprisingly prescient about the whole theatrical experience, about what he's bringing to the table, why IMAX is the future. All that stuff's interesting. Um, but I, I, I guess I want to sort of hone in on one specific part of this. And and I know that you know we're still still in the midst of a pandemic that has had a, obviously an enormous impact on the theatrical experience. So it's a little hard to be like, I don't want to be too critical of what he's saying necessarily, but he does talk a lot about fucking raise ticket prices. Um, do what you got to do in order to allow us to keep making these exorbitantly expensive movies. Um, and I don't care if movies become like theater and people only go to see a couple movies a year. I think that's pretty stupid, <laughs> but I'm curious yeah. as to what you guys think. Yeah. No, I, yeah. It's, it's very narrow-minded as well. <laughs> like, yeah. It, it's, yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's a fascinating sort of thing. It's just interesting that he's so kind of um, cavalier about the theatrical experience, thinking as though it's bulletproof. And I think we've obviously become abundantly, it's become abundantly clear that it's not. Um, and that mm-hmm. yeah, streaming is having an effect. Yes, Emma? I was going to say, also, like, one thing I was like, oh, that's actually quite smart and quite, like, prescient as well about stuff that's going on right now with that Anthony Bourdain documentary is when he's talking about um, CGIing dead people um, and how soulless it is. And it's like, you are very right. We have seen this. Uh, <laughs> like, and we're going to yeah. keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, yep. he he does coin a term, which I really think we should bring back, synthespians? <laughs> can, can we make that happen i think we um, should because we'll i mean i guess it. It, yeah right i mean yeah. andy circus is the ultimate synthespian i would say um i mean i i absolutely agree with you emma that that w- that we've seen a couple instances of it specifically it seems within the star wars universe of uh of younger versions of people or, or quite frankly, people that aren't with us anymore. Um, it's, it's a little, it's, it's upsetting. It's strange. Yeah. I think younger, if they're still alive and they're there, it's less weird. Cause at least they're probably acting. Sure. They've just got dots on their face. I mean, it's probably weird for the actor. It still looks a little weird, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's interesting. Cause like Rogue One, you've got the, you have the Carrie Fisher oh, thing yeah. at the very end of Rogue One. Right. And she was mm-hmm. alive when Rogue One came out and, and it still looked weird, but I was kind of like, okay, we were getting, we're getting closer. We will get to a place where we won't be able to tell. And that's going to be very unsettling. Mm. But for the time, but we're, we're it, it was just sort of like, this isn't terrible. And mm-hmm. then there was Mandalorian, uh, the younger, the younger Luke, which was just like, what are we doing? Like, this is, this is fun. <laughs> I'd actually crazy. forgotten about that. <laughs> we're just like, what is happening? Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't want, <laughs> you know, Humphrey Bogart back in some no. sort of weird synthespian no. form. No. I just don't. Uh, but maybe he was in Space Jam too, wasn't he? Probably. Who isn't? He's in, 
and also he's in an ad. I'm sure there's like a stellar ad for, with Humphrey Bogart. Oh, that Definitely. sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. and Audrey Hepburn did yeah, Galaxy Hepburn. Chocolate. <laughs> of course, gonna, her best role. <laughs> are they going to have to put yeah. it in their will now or their estate? Like you, li- you can't use Do like not. my, Don't fuck like with my image. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's just, it's really, it's really crazy. Um, So then also in this um, article, there's two other, there's two other articles in this issue. There's a digital revolution one, which I thought was interesting, um, but gets super technical, uh, but it Mm -hmm. really kind of gets into the, into the, you know, kind of um, the tall grass, if you will, about special effects. Um, It was interesting insofar as that uh, there's just so many wizards of special effects that we will never, that we'll never get their due um, and are just are pushing this technology forward in ways that we'll never even really know. The, the, techno, the technological stuff that I'm most impressed with is, is really, um, is the camera movement stuff. It's the stuff that you don't notice. It's the things that allow us to be just sort of seamlessly pulled into the, into the film, as opposed to the digital recreations of a person or some crazy you know, explosion. Um, I love that Henry Selleck and Monkey Bone get a spotlight in this article, a movie that that notoriously was incredibly difficult and most people really don't like. Uh, have you seen Monkey Bone? Have either of you seen Monkey Bone? It's it's uh, oh, Brendan yeah. Fraser. Yeah. It's okay. it's it's kind of a, a Who Framed Roger Rabbit situation of him being brought into uh, a, you know a, a fictional universe. Um, it's crazy, like it's completely bug nuts. Uh, I I I wonder if Monkey Bone will get a reevaluation. Like, there's that's the type of movie I could see Twitter one day just pulling out of obscurity and being like Monkey Bone, and then everyone's talking about it for 24 <laughs> hours. Um, and then there's a, an article about futuristic dreams and movies. Um, why are futuristic movies so bleak and dystopian? Why? I mean, I, I don't. We just did an episode of our uh, 89 Patreon on uh, Back to the Future Part 2 that we did with uh, Emily Vanderwerf. And it was really interesting to talk about that film through the lens of 2021, especially uh, post-Trump. Um, but it was also just interesting to sort of talk about that that 2015 chunk at the beginning of the film. <laughs> Obviously, it's laughable that it was 2015, but... Um, that idea of a future that's a lot more sort of candy colored, a lot more kind of accessible, a lot more filled with potential. I'm kind of surprised we don't see more of those, but I don't know. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. No people, <laughs> bleak. No. <laughs> it's just, it's all black and dark. It's all sad. Um, so speaking of sad and weird, the next issue is the March <laughs> issue um, with uh, Nicholas Cage and Joel Schumacher on the cover. Um, or well, it's Nicholas Cage, just not Joel Schumacher, but he is, he is focused in this, uh, in mm-hmm. this article. Um, it's an Oscar exclusive where it talks all about the previous year's Oscars. Um, there's a Kate Blanchett profile. Um, there's a Clint Eastwood profile. Um, and there's a directors talking about their first films. Um, I would say the star of this piece, mm-hmm. Babe Pig in the City. Damn fucking right. <laughs> Babe Pig in the City is 
a masterpiece, and we all need to bow at the altar of Babe Pig in the City. Um, the, apparently, the movie that that almost ruined a studio, if you believe this article, um, if you're, I mean, if it's to be believed, uh, I love that article so fucking. Much. It was so good. It's so. Um, let's talk about that article first. It's called "Air Under Pressure." It's all about the Bronfmans and uh, the people that are running Universal at the time. And Universal, which I I don't think I realized how in the shitter they were in 98. Like, how bad things were at Universal. I mean, it was one kind of tank after another. Their movies weren't working. <laughs> um, and they really just hone in on Babe Pig in the City. <laughs> um, and, and really kind of just, it's a, a punching bag in this article. Um, I, I will say this. I think Babe Pig in the City is a, a triumph. I think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> I really do. Have Have you seen it? I have, I, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I have any... <laughs> I don't have any strong feelings on it, but, you know, no, I don't it's not either. terrible. <laughs> it's not the worst. Well, you know what? I have strong feelings, guys, if that's not clear. <laughs> I, I think that Babe Pig in the City is a, is a stone-cold masterpiece. That being you said... Rewatch. You You really should. Um, especially okay. post Mad Max Fury Road, because it feels like everyone kind of reevaluated George Miller's movies after that uh, and okay. sort of were like, wait a second, is this, there was just a lot of kind of, mm-hmm. um, I'll, I will say this, <laughs> it should not have been made. I think it's crazy <laughs> that it was made. Um, I really do believe that it is just absolutely crazy. When you read, I, I, I put a, I, I posted a, a, a slight clip from it on Twitter in terms of the things that had to be done to, to get it corralled in terms of them hoping that a, an edit could help them. But like <laughs> Mickey Rooney's arc was kind of trimmed. Uh, there's a drowning dog sequence that they had to trim. Um, there was just a lot of stuff that they did where they hoped that they could find of they could find the movie a little bit, um, or or hopefully make a movie that was more marketable. Here's the thing: Babe One was a big hit, right? Actually, I've only seen Babe One. I realized I haven't seen Babe Pick in the City. I was just looking. I was like, no, I haven't <laughs> I seen like, Wait that. a second, Drowning <laughs> Dog, Mickey Rooney. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So Babe 2 is about Babe going to the city. Um, (laughs) And he is sort of, uh, he becomes friends with a bunch of, essentially he's, there's this woman that is, this isn't going to be an episode of a Babe Pig in the City, but basically there's this woman that tries to save all of these various um, stray dogs. Okay. So Babe becomes kind of the hero of this house filled with all of these stray animals. Tori's face is amazing right now. Um, but the movie's super dark and super existential. And essentially, Babe saves this pit bull that is like this angry dog that's trying to kill all these other dogs and saves this dog and becomes sort of the patron saint of... It's just a very dark movie is, is really kind of what I'm getting it at. Looks up. And it's crazy that Universal was like, yeah, 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 go make this movie. And then was like, <laughs> oh, wait a second. Why is this movie so fucking weird and dark? And how do we market this movie? And it destroys the franchise. They spent a hundred million dollars. They let George Miller direct the film because he kind of pseudo directed the first one because he produced the first one. And it's just insane. It's insane. It's wonderful. And it's it's not a surprise that this movie was a disaster. 
to say that this entire studio hinged on the success of Babe Pig in the City is insane. And that's what this article essentially presupposes is like, if Babe 2 is a hit, we'd be running the town. And I just don't think that that's really fair. They seem annoyed at what well, annoyed. They seem to blame Meet Joe Black a lot as well. That also well, seems fair. To, yeah. <laughs> so, so another movie that's insane is Meet Joe Black, which comes out in 98. It's over three hours long, which is, I mean, have you guys seen Meet Joe Black? Have both of you seen Meet I've Joe seen Black? bits, but I've definitely seen the really bad sex scene with the really slow yes. undressing. Yes, no wonder yes, that movie yes, is yes, three yes, hours. Yes. Obviously, I've seen the, 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 the car, which gets brought up in a, in a later piece. the fucking oh. best. <laughs> it does get brought up in the Fight Club piece. Uh, it is... So Meet Joe Black is a remake of a film called Death Takes a Holiday, which I have not seen, um, which is the idea that death the idea of death, I'm putting this in quotation marks, uh, takes over the body of a young man to learn what life is like um, is sort of what it's about. Um, and Micho Black is a similar premise. Brad Pitt meets Claire Forlani in a coffee shop at the top of the film. Um, and, <laughs> and then is laughably hit by a car. Um, it's, it's, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen the memes or the GIF that has sort of floated around, but it is, it's full on, he turns basically into Jar Jar Binks. Like it's this like crazy <laughs> CG moment when he's flopping around and getting hit by like three different cars. Like it's just, it's crazy. Um, it's laughable. The movie's three hours long. Uh, what were they thinking? Like, I, it's just, it's, it's insane. Um, that being said, um, Meyer starts to take over um, Universal. It's, his name is Meyer, right? Uh, I can't remember his first name um, in the article. Doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he starts to take over Universal uh, at the end of 98, top of 99. And they do start to have, they have some hits in 99. They've got Notting Hill, The Mummy, American Pie, Bowfinger. They start to kind of get their sea legs and Universal's doing just fine. I'm not worried about Universal. But um, <laughs> it is interesting. They've got Mystery Men. They've got End of Days. They've got Man on the Moon. They've got a lot of movies that don't hit as well. Um, but it's a fascinating article uh, in terms of the PR of it. Like if I'm working at Universal, I don't want this piece out there in the world. Like it's it's mm-hmm. amazing to me that this magazine wasn't shuttered many times over. <laughs> like that people weren't just like, can you stop shitting all over this town? <laughs> like, so yeah. it's kind of it's kind of amazing in that regard. Um the Nicolas Cage Joel Schumacher piece. Yeah. Have you guys seen eight millimeter? No, actually. Sounds in, it sounds lot. intense. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Eight millimeters a lot. Um, the thing that jumped out at me in this article, for obvious reasons, is the Lenny Bruce quote. Um, for Tori, I imagine that was just a real, a real moment. Um, the, uh, the quote is, no one's ever held up a bank with a dildo, which is a great quote uh, and, and, and is a great sort of um, distillation of why are we so afraid of sex, um, but we're okay with guns? Mm-hmm. Um, it's odd that it's in this article. Like, I don't quite think this article... I mean, are you guys, do you guys sort of know what I'm getting at? Like, this article seems to be about yeah. violence and sex. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, and well, because the, the Larry Flint stuff, I'm like, why are they bringing Larry yeah. Flint into yes. this? <laughs> like, so they interview yes. him as well. I'm like, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's it. It takes the wild ride. This article, and like, because Joel Schumacher is like a gift in any interview because he will totally. just say <laughs> whatever, <laughs> yes. which just. <laughs> Amazing! Like there's so many sexually active by eleven. I was like, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he well, he said it, there's a vulture piece that he did meant before yeah. his death, where he talks about how he's had sex with thousands and thousands of men. Like he doesn't even has no idea how many he's had sex with. It's just like amazing, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, it's a gift. I would also say Nicolas Cage is a gift to, to anyone who's interviewing as well. Like this, yeah. bringing these two people together uh, is a gift. I also had one of my favorite things, um, which in TV, when anyone talks about standards and practices, I'm li- it's like literally all I want to hear about. But they talk about the thrusting and how yeah. eight you, they had eight, eight NC-17. <laughs> and they had that in The Good Wife. Um, there, was, there was too many yes. thrusts in the scene. And honestly, it's just like, when is the thrust too much? that's the question that's the question when do you turn it off (laughs) it's well it's just it's amazing to me that that i mean listen we could talk about the the mpa all day long and and what sort of arbitrary things they decide are okay and what aren't okay uh even in the they talk about it in the in the scorsese spike lee piece as well where scorsese is like yeah i mean i got a i got an r rating for after hours because of sensuality throughout and you're like what does that even mean (laughs) Uh, it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's baffling. Um, it's an interesting article. Uh, makes me miss Joel Schumacher. Um, it, it's, uh, it, Nicholas Cage and him kind of, they do another film together later with, uh, like a straight to video movie that they did with, um, Nicole Kidman called Trespass, I think, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, I've never seen, but yeah, it, eight millimeters, a weird movie, um, I kind of like some stuff in it though. It's got some good stuff, but it's weird and and obviously um you know, Hollywood shouldn't be making films about snuff films, you know? Like let's just not do that. Like it, this is anyway. Uh so then we have this piece on on the Oscars um which was interesting. I guess here's my question to you guys about award shows because this kind of this article made me think about um where we're at with award shows in general. Because I feel like the pandemic obviously made us reevaluate award shows and how they work and and whether we need them to some degree or another. Um, But it also kind of, because I think about the hoopla around the Oscars this past year that Soderbergh produced, things that were outside of their control, like, for instance the last award uh uh there was things that just were that went sideways i didn't actually take issue so much with the 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 way it felt necessarily i I mean some of it the 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 bits didn't work but like making it smaller making it a little bit more intimate making it feel a little bit more special um i don't think is a bad thing and this piece just made me think about the bombacity and the size of these award shows the amount of money that's put into them um how much all these sort of moving pieces and just thinking like we're doing this to pat people on the back like it's very odd i mean i do love an award show to be honest sorry i don't don't hate (laughs) them either I, I don't mean to suggest that we don't. Sure. That there isn't something great about them, right? Like but I think a red carpet's you know, great, but do you know what this one? This one made me Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway always there. That, that's what oh. my main takeaway from this piece was. I was like, oh, all right, this is like. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
it's like Time yeah, is- moonlight all over again moonlight and la la land all over again <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, I don't mean to suggest that we don't need sure. award shows or that we, that I don't enjoy them. And there isn't a level of enjoyment in the sort of the spectacle of them. Sure. Um, I guess I'm just sort of feeling like, and I, it certainly feels this way about audiences when you look at the ratings that are slowly declining, that it does feel like less and less people are interested in watching the show than mm-hmm. they are seeing the clips that circulate on various yeah. social media the right. next day. Um, and then commenting on that and feeling as though they're part of the zeitgeist through that. Um, that's a problem, I would say, for award shows. Yeah, no, I, I but. agree. But. Uh, there's now a Kate Blanchett piece. And God bless Kate Blanchett. Um, she comes across actually better than most people do in these pieces because she kind of gives zero fucks about the whole thing, even at this stage right. in her career. Um but it is crazy to think about the three films she followed up Elizabeth with. Um, pushing, pushing Tin and, and An Ideal Husband are odd movies to follow up Elizabeth with. Town to Miss Ripley, not so much, even though her role is smaller in that film. Um, she just seems very kind of, even at this time in her, I don't mean to say even, but like at this time in her career, um, very sort of sure of herself. Very just like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and, and it's going to play out the way it's going to play out. Yeah. Which I kind of respected. I enjoyed the ghost story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, yeah, it opens the ghost story. I enjoyed that. Also, um, the, there's a thing, so I'm going to say alleged for a lot of this, but like there's a lot of people in these magazines where you're like, oh, this is an alleged uh, like sexual predator. And obviously there is the Jeffrey Rush stuff in this where he's playing an alleged sexual predator. So it was a bit like, oh, yeah. like it just feels weird going back and being like, because Harvey obviously has mentioned there's a lot. All over so much. <laughs> because, yeah, so it's just every time Harvey's mentioned it, it's just like, I mean, he's not alleged, he's uh, convicted, so. Correct, we, correct. We can say convicted. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just weird how, and it's Scott Rudin, the fact that obviously there's been all that stuff recently about his, like, behavior, yep. alleged behavior. He comes up in the, uh, is it Adam's family, uh, talking about in the Christina Ricci piece, or there's something, he comes up. Spike Lee mentioned him? Yes, you're right. Scorsese, he bring because uh, Bringing Out the Dead was produced by Scott Rude. Yes. That was 99. Yeah, there's, it is, uh, it's it's hard not, it's, I mean, we've, we've, <laughs> we've read like 10 issues or eight issues of this, of this <laughs> magazine. So um, you, re- and, and when you see it kind of condensed into that form, mm-hmm. it's hard not to feel how prevalent, like how much they were in this industry like it was just all over it um yeah it's it's pretty upsetting uh there this like a virgin uh, article was was cute which is about these various filmmakers talking about yeah. their first films the one that jumped out at me was wes anderson talking about 85 people walking out of bottle rocket and then his girlfriend <laughs> broke up with him i was like that's just amazing uh i'm just like that's just great um, yeah yeah the so most wes anderson awesome. <laughs> the most wes anderson thing uh so the april issue has cruel intentions on the cover. Um, this um, <laughs> issue, Emma bought uh, just a despondent cover. Just three of them, just looking just grumpy as fuck. <laughs> yeah. I would with, with these bangs definitely. With oh. uh, yeah, we, we will post all of these all of these covers on our Twitter feed. So and I'm, you can Google them, they're all out there. Um, but but to describe, would you describe this cover uh, for us, Emma? 
Uh, well, yeah, it's the, it's the three stars. So Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Felipe, and uh, Reese Witherspoon just looking very moody uh, in front of a nice wallpaper. Um, wearing it's very pink, very blonde and pink. outfits, yeah. Yeah, is, uh, yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it doesn't do any of them any favors. No. Um, I think Reese might be pregnant. I don't know. I, th- I think I, yeah, this is, yeah. In a later article. Yes, yeah. another issue. So, so I think I think she might be pregnant. So I guess yeah. that's maybe the, why they've given two, her. Some... That article, oh, yeah. the thing that really made me sad about the article was just how just them describing how in love they are. Like the, yeah. the d- R- Ryan and Reese talking about meeting and falling in love and how just like over the moon they are with each other. I'm just like, yeah. oh boy. Yeah. Um, oh, speaking so about that. alleged people as well, there's the <laughs> sure. line um, where Sarah Michelle Gellar is really upset because Joss Whedon Joss referred Whedon. to the movie as porny yeah. at Fuck the Joss TCA, Whedon. and I, I, the fact that she—it's like it feels like the snowman. The clues were there all along, you know. Mm-hmm. If we to, if we tied it together, <laughs> the classic film, the snowman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I what I found in, first of all, what I thought was interesting about this article was um how it was structured. Like it was broken yeah. up into the individual mm-hmm. people rather than like blending the three of them together, which I guess was just a choice. Um I, I thought that um I thought it was effective at actually painting the three of them. Like I did feel as though it did a good job of not um sort of it's not handled with kid gloves, but I did feel as though like I got a sense of who they were, at least perhaps at this moment in their lives, which I thought was relatively interesting. Um, just because, you know, two of them are going to become, one of them is already a gigantic TV star. Um, but Reese obviously is, you know, what Reese Witherspoon is now. Um, and I appreciate that, that Ryan Felipe is the one with the smallest career of the three of them. That's, that's kind of, <laughs> that the man is, I think is interesting. Um, yeah. But I, but I thought that the Sarah Michelle Geller part was interesting because of how I don't know that she would be allowed, and I put that in quotation marks, to make cruel intentions while being on a WB show now. Like, I don't know that, that there aren't sort of contractual things about what content you can do, how you can do it, when you can do it on television shows, or at least... It's just, I guess my, I'm, I'm basically getting at that I sort of understand Warner Brothers perhaps being like, this could tarnish the image of Sarah Michelle Gellar and in, and in turn hurt Buffy, mm. which is why I think a little bit of why Joss Whedon's taking a dig at it too, which is he's kind of trying to take the piss out of it so that people mm-hmm. don't, you know, so it doesn't hurt his show, which is yeah. fucked up in its own way too. Um, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, I, it was interesting to hear sort of that part of it. Yes, Troy? I was just going to say the Sarah Michelle Gellar pull quote. It's just like, she's like <laughs> she thought of kissing girl, she was going to throw up. That <laughs> just is the way the that's like yeah. bolded in the middle of the article. Correct. Yeah, they really just like really make it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I do think it's interesting. And then there's the, the the interviewer saying something along the line or someone saying to her that it, that, that scene would be the, masturbatory scene of the year or something like that. Just I think it's her was, thing about it, actually, which surprised me. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Uh, it, it, it is interesting sort of how much they underline that moment in the film. Oh, and I she's get quoting it. a review. That's what she's oh. doing. Oh, she's okay. oh gross. <laughs> it's gross. It's gross. But it's also like, I remember, and I, I, it's unfortunate, but it was a big deal. 
Like that two young women were kissing was a big deal. It's the stupid. Spit, the like... spit, the, the all of it. Um, you know, it was just a very big thing. Um, and I guess in the end, I respect that Sir Michelle Geller was just like, I'm a professional, fuck it, I'm doing this, like, let's just do this. But she does blow it out of proportion and makes it seem as though it's like some it's like two paragraphs deal. in this article about how stressed <laughs> she was. It's, it's just like, come on, get over yourself. <laughs> Um, so I do feel like that's a little bit much, um, but it's a good article. I mean, I, I, and, and, and I would say too, you know, the movie obviously was a, was a hit. It was a lightning rod. Um, what are your thoughts I, on Cruel Intentions? Yeah, go ahead. Can I just up out the article quickly first? The, in the opening about the director wanting to kill these valley girls, it's like, that's such a weird opening. Also, I, I didn't even realize who this guy was. I had to like, Google him. Roger Cumble. He's still, I mean, yeah, he's still we, working, but... He, he was a, we had him as a guest on our Cruel Intentions episode. Oh, he was cool. lovely. Um, he this was does super, not paint him as very... No, nice. no, no. It does, <laughs> it doesn't. This is, I, I think that it's so funny because like these these issues also kind of... I mean, part of the hatchet jobs that, that do seem to exist within all of this is... Um, I guess they wanted to be a magazine that got people talking, right? So yeah. it's about sort of, you know... Uh, poking bears and getting people whatever. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't do Roger Cumble any favors to, to open this article. Same with the Mike Newell article uh, on Pushing Tin, which we'll get to later as well, where he's painted kind of stupid and, and painted in a way that doesn't make him look very good. I mean, at one point he screams, make it like life. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that is the worst direction I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> like... <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah. Oh, but in terms of movie, yeah. I, I fucking love it. Like, I, I yeah. still listen to the soundtrack. This was Great like, I, I loved Buffy. I loved Dawson's Creek. So, like, obviously, mm-hmm. Joshua Jackson shows up. This, sure, this sure. movie is, was made in a lab for a 16 year old me and also a 38 year old me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like people still love it now. Like, yes. it's all good. It now, teenagers. Yeah. So. It, it it's, it's you know it's really interesting. I so around the time that we covered it, we had Tom Meissen on to talk about it, um, and uh, I had some friends watch it around that time as well to sort of get their thoughts. It's it's kind of I'm so conflicted about this movie because I think there's a lot of great stuff in it, and I don't mean to suggest that there isn't. And I do think that the movie is very tongue in cheek. Like I think the whole thing is taking the piss out of all these characters. It's all meant to be sort of super over the top. Like that's the point. But then there is stuff in there that is pretty gross. Like the the Ryan Felipe character is pretty gross in terms of how he manipulates Selma Blair. The things that he does to her is not okay. The, that are deeply problematic in today's world. Um, but I understand that back then it was all kind of done with with a sort of a wink and a nod. Um, so you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. And if you can do that, I think the movie is, a, is kind of brilliant. Um, but I think there are people that maybe can't. I think maybe I have my, yeah, rose-tinted glasses from seeing it. Like, <laughs> for sure, for sure. In, in the cinema when I was 16, just being yep. like, this is the fucking best. Like, Christine uh, yeah. Baranski's in it. Like, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's everyone's in it, and it's great. I remember, and I think I might have said this on the episode. It's so strange. I went to see it uh, with a friend um, and thought it was great. I was like, this movie's really funny, and it's really cool, whatever. And then I, <laughs> one of my best friends... Uh, went on a date with a girl, like one of their first dates, um, 
to go see it. And I kind of forced myself onto this date because I really wanted to see the film again. (laughs) Yeah, super fucking weird. And then I'm sitting there halfway through the film and thinking, oh my God, I so desperately don't want to be here on this date while they're watching this film. Like it was just (laughs) so awful. Um, But whatever, I was 19 and it was was what it was. Um, So then we have this Ron Howard piece, which I thought was interesting. Um, Bryce is a great casting agent is what I will say that my main takeaway from this piece, Bryce Dallas Howard. Like, great casting, great. great casting. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> um, I think Ed TV is underrated. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's a great comedy. That. I think you guys would really like it, especially in sort of the, you know, the, the reality television world that we live in now. Um, it's a really fun movie. And I know that it kind of got overshadowed by The Truman Show because they both have similar concepts and it just kind of just didn't hit the way that it should have. But I think Ed TV is great. Um, kind of insane that he almost didn't make Apollo 13, uh, which is inarguably his best film, I would say. Yeah. The only film that I like. Wow. Really? (laughs) Parenthood's great. Yeah. (laughs) Silence. Crickets from from Tori. I haven't seen Parenthood, so I can't. (laughs) Parenthood's great. I I actually really like the... um, It's... First of all, I agree with you, Tori. It It is his best film because it's like it's a movie with a capital M and it's like, Mm -hmm. it just, it's, it's, it's everything that you want from Ron Howard, like just killing it. Tom Hanks, everyone's just killing it. I like his smaller comedies too. Cause I think he actually does do camaraderie really well. Um, I think that, um, I think ETV is great. I think the paper's great. Um, I think some of his uh, lesser kind of successful films are actually some of his best films. So I like happy days. Sure. I like American Graffiti. Um, uh, I do think his lack of hubris on Far and Away is kind of amazing. Because uh, that movie is bad. That movie is bad. It's um, crazy. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Um, then there's a piece on Oscars 98. Uh and I wanted to talk with you guys about the nominees. I pulled up the the um, the thing here. Uh, bear with me a moment, as I just in, just sort of like ninety eight best picture nominees were Elizabeth, Life Is Beautiful, Saving Private Ryan, Shakespeare in Love, The Thin Red Line. Um, notoriously, Shakespeare in Love. One, beating uh, Saving Private Ryan, which is a pretty crazy thing. That's sort of, I guess, the jewel in uh, Harvey Weinstein's evil crown. Um, I think hindsight being what it is, I think everyone probably thinks that Saving Private Ryan should have won. Um, I also, speaking of, of Shakespeare in Love, the Kate Winslet piece and her talking about turning down Shakespeare in Love is is a crazy sort of sliding doors moment. Um, I think she would have been great. Um, I think she would have had, you know, a real British accent, which, you know, uh, and, and not a bad British accent that she won an Academy Award for. Um, but, uh, I mean, insane, uh, is, is the movie as big a hit if Kate Winslet is playing the lead? I don't know. Um, you know, Gwyneth at that time was sort of like, there was this kind of cresting moment for her. So it, it does feel sort of like that movie is riding her wave a little bit. Um, but, uh, 
but I, I would love to have seen the, the Kate Winslet, Shakespeare in Love movie. That, that's one that I really would have been interested in seeing. Um, it's not to say that, that Gwyneth is bad or that the movie's bad. I think Shakespeare in Love's a lovely movie. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just don't think it's a great movie. Mm. Um, but anywho, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I, you know, I don't want to go through all the nominees because it's not, it's, it's not actually one of like the better Academy Award years in terms of like the nominees. It's just sort of like, it's, it's, you know, you've got Judy Dench winning for Shakespeare in Love and she's in the film for, I think it's 11 minutes total. It's something insane. <laughs> yeah, she's not in it for very long. Um, you obviously have uh, Gwyneth wins over Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth, which is crazy. Um, it's a choice. It's a choice. Uh, it's, it's just sort of, it's a weird year. James Coburn winning for Affliction. Uh, it's just kind of, it's, it's just not a, not the best year it's also uh, extremely Gwyneth. white at literally the like it's yes, it's, it's very very white yeah. and also yes, um yes. i will point out uh babe pig in the city did get an original <laughs> song nomination yeah oh, i saw that i saw that um uh it didn't get anything else uh it should have been nominated for you know special effects for instance uh, but you know what listen this is not a babe pig in the city Best picture i don't know <laughs> you mock Lead but actor, babe, the pig. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. Very, very brief, very funny story. Went to see Babe Pig in the City in the theater with two of my best friends. Uh, and one of my good friends, Kaylee Tessier, said as we left the theater that Thelonious, the orangutan, should be nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And I agree, <laughs> Thelonious is tremendous in that film. And if we nominated animals, he should have got a nomination. <sighs> Uh, okay, let's talk about clothes calls, which I hate that name for this article. Yeah, let's talk about these uh, these outfits. Um, I, I, yeah. So it's such a weird. It was. It's, it's very a very short period of time. Like I don't understand yeah. the parameters because I was like, oh, this will be from this year, and then I was like, no, obviously it's not because that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> And then I was like, why have they picked these ones? Yeah. It's very confusing. It's very strange. <laughs> um, but let's just talk about the outfits um, for, for a brief moment here. Uh, Mira, Sorvini, Mira Sorvino's uh, dress is interesting. Her Armani, yeah. I don't right. know how I feel about, about two different patterns on the same thing, but, you know, that's, that's a choice. Yeah, it's a little muddled. Uh, then on the next page, I believe, because uh, I'm, I'm, these are out of order, but um, yes, Helena Bonham Carter is just always the best. I don't know. She's always great. Um, Holly Hunter, I remember that was, I believe, the, the, did she wear that to the Oscars? Is that something she... I, 1994 Oscars, so yeah. Yeah, that's when she won, I believe, for the piano. Um. Yes. I don't know what to say about Jada Pink. I think it's fucking great. It's not specifically Oscars, <laughs> but it, she looks banging. She she like, she does. It looks yeah. like it's made of metal though. Like the yeah. top looks like it's 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 a lot. It's I it's pretty love it. It's pretty yeah. rad. Um the the Sharon Stone two outfits, uh I'm into the the top kind of black. It looks like it's crushed velvet or something like that. It's kind of hard to, to see from here, but um I thought that's pretty cool. Um on the next page, uh, which is um Patricia Arquette 
not love him. I just, not, no, it's, no, I don't, again, I have a real problem with like two-tone stuff, but that's, I mean. It's kind of Cotillion-esque, kind it's of. Very strange, vibe, kind I of get. this odd um, floral-ish pattern thing. Yeah. Her hair looks great though. Um, Dennis Rodman wearing just a giant, Mad Hatter crushed velvet top hat thing. Uh, I don't really get it. Gus Van Sant wearing a interesting sort of blazer-ish thing. Velvet. It looks, yeah. Looks like a, a lot of velvet going on uh, yeah. in, in a lot of these photos. Uh, Anna Paquin in the outfit that she wore when she won for um, for the piano as well, um, yeah. which is a crazy. Uh, she's great in that movie, but I, I just never really know how to feel about like children winning Academy Awards where it's just, I don't know, she's great in the movie, but um, Julia Binoche, more velvet uh, in this bra- a great sort of crushed brown velvet thing when she beat Lauren Bacall and everyone thought it was crazy. Um, for the, <laughs> the mirror has two faces, which I mean, okay. I mean, Lauren Bacall is great, but anyway. Uh, and then another picture of Anna Paquin later. Um, she looks good, I guess. It looks like it's from uh, She's All That. It looks like it, does. The, pro- it, does. it looks like the prom scene from She's All That. That's it does. <laughs> uh, and then on the last page, we have Brad and Gwyneth in their in peak Brad and Gwyneth times. It's, it's, it's cool, yeah. <laughs> it's it's cool. Real... No, it's cool. Like you get, it's like Brad and Gwyneth were just like, yeah, yeah. they were the ones. They were the ones. I mean, I, I really do feel like um, of of all the the Brad and dot dot dots, uh, <laughs> they were the ones that I that I liked the most. Yeah. Um, I always felt like Jennifer Aniston. Whenever she was next to him, was like I'm married to Brad Pitt. Like it's just there's this, there's just something very sort of adorable about it, but also kind of. Uh, whereas Gwyneth is just like, yeah, of course I'm with Brad Pitt. I think it's also how they position. Like we talked about this in the last one, how like Jen's the TV star and he's the movie star. Whereas mm-hmm. I guess they were kind of obviously he was older than Gwyneth. I don't know about how much, but like, and he was already established. But it feels like they were more on the same level. And same with Angelina Jolie in a way. Whereas Jennifer Aniston was always positioned as like, yeah, yeah she's so lucky. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I'm a big fan of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, as as flawed as that movie might be. I find it a lot of fun. And the two of them are just so, like, they're just, they are, that is just star wattage off the charts, crazy, two unbelievably hot people just being hot and blowing things up. It's great. Um, but I think about Brad and Gwyneth in Seven and what they had and that energy is just, it's just richer and more interesting, but. Uh, then there's a uh, um, Kim Basinger, I believe that's from the. Is that from the Oscars? That's when she won for. Is that the year that she it won? It doesn't think, for LA say what year it is. Wait, okay. Annoyingly, uh, yeah, doesn't yeah. Say what year is. And then we have a, a triptych of uh, <laughs> Emma Thompson. This is the weirdest article. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. This is this and is maybe the, the most. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple times where I really feel like they're just like, we got to pad this thing. Yeah. They're like, we got to use our get you allowance this month. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's so weird. I just, I, like, this article in particular really shows how much it's not a fashion magazine. Like, how right. they're just like, here's a hodgepodge of people dressed up. 
anyway, yeah, it's really um, stupid. It's really strange. So then the next issue we're skipping because it's they did four Star Wars covers, uh, and they. Just I love that all of us were like, we don't care. About, like know, I mean, Star Wars, it's just. There's yeah. plenty of Star Wars stuff already. If you if you want to uh, listen to podcasts about Star Wars, there's a million of them, uh, and <laughs> and you'll be fine. Uh, but they did four different covers for the four stars. Uh, obviously, Natalie Portman, Ewan McGregor, Liam Neeson, and uh, Georgie and uh, Jake Lloyd. Um, we unfortunately, I bought the next issue, but it got lost in the mail. So, uh, but I, I got a refund, so I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. But it would have been nice because I would have liked mm-hmm. to have seen this sizzling summer preview. Salma Hayek is on the cover uh, from everyone's favorite Wild Wild West, um, a movie that, wow, has not aged well. Um, oh. There's a Power 100 uh, special report where they rank everybody. Would have loved to have seen who these people were at the time. <laughs> um, and then there's uh, My First Love Scene Tales from the Set. Uh, again. Bummer. Maybe someday I'll get this issue and we'll do a one-off on this one particular <laughs> issue as a special bonus um, because I would actually like to talk about some of the things in it. But moving on uh, to July, where we have oh, Heather Graham, Bubblicious, on the cover. Um, <laughs> she is, um, oh boy, she's in a, what would you, how would you describe this dress? Sort of a, a, a shiny um, hold on. How, how would you describe like green, this? Green, green tube top, metallic dress. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm just. I'm pulling up the my the PDF of the issue just so I have it. Of course, oh, I closed my thing. Um, did it feel uh, it's, very? It's, sort of, it's like it looks like it's hologram, like a hologram kind of ish. There we go for for the people who have paid to see the video. Oh, there we go. Yes, you can see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It kind it's, of feels uh, like maybe Austin Powers, but not. Like, they're like, this kind of will yes. make you think of Austin yeah. Powers, but it's yes. not Austin Powers. Correct. Um, there's uh, a couple other articles in this issue. Um, there's a, a very detailed breakdown of the pod race shot by shot from Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Uh, there's an uh, article with John Sayles uh, talking about, um, an interesting article about him sort of talking about his... Uh, I guess his fights with studios and, you know, he's, he's sort of one of the uh, American independent auteurs. Uh, There's an article about 10 terrific scripts that Hollywood hasn't made uh, and might never make. There's only one, I believe on there that got made. Yeah. Good Shepherd, I think. Good Shepherd got made, but we'll talk about those. Uh, There's a really interesting article about uh, Julia versus Julia, um, which uh, breaks down the, Notting Hill runaway bride situation in 99, which is that Notting Hill shot first, obviously. Um, Universal is, as we described earlier, struggling. Um, and I believe they they purchased that movie or the a, a portion of that film from Working Title. I think it's Working Title or Polygram. It's yeah. a British imprint. It's Working sort. Title. Yeah. So they... Yeah they buy half that film and they're unsure when to release it. And it's basically this game of chicken between Paramount and Universal as to when these two films are going to get released. Um, Paramount refuses to move their release date from, from uh, I believe it's August. I think it's August. Maybe it's July. It doesn't matter. They won't move it. And 
ultimately Notting Hill blinks. They decide to release Notting Hill the week after Star Wars as counter-programming and it does incredibly well. Much, much better than Runaway Bride. But Runaway Bride probably does better because it's in the, the wake of the success of Notting Hill. So it ultimately all kind of works out. But it's just an interesting thing. Anyway. Um, and then um, uh, 50 Unsung Classics. We'll talk about that. But let's talk about this Heather Graham article. Wow. So much to talk about. Um, so the let's talk about first of all the photography within the piece. Do you have it in front of you, um, Emma? No, I can, maybe. I can, pull it off I, I, can, I can. I can. I can email it to you. Um, it's uh, very odd photographs. Would you say, Tori? Uh, do you have it? I'll, I'll, I, yeah, I can send I it to it, you I guys. Hold on one second. Um, you do have it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm send, I'm emailing it to you right now, Emma. Um, it's, uh, okay. Well, it's one of these big files, so you might not be able to open it. (laughs) Cause we, we, I know I've definitely, you've definitely seen it. I'll pull them up whilst you're talking. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it's, she's wearing a bunch of tanner. She's, wearing several very scandalous outfits that that I don't actually think are particularly sexy if I'm being honest. No. Um the first one is uh this like lace. Would you say it's lace, Tori? Yeah. <laughs> this lace black lace situation where you it's that see-through. Um and she's got this kind of pseudo leopard print shoes. Um the, the sub the true confessions of Heather Graham from Boogie Nights to Austin Powers she punctures her angelic image by playing sexual adventurers off screen she's not so sure whether she's a saint or a sinner <sighs> okay. okay so this article <laughs> is gross uh, it's gross yeah. for a bunch of reasons but it's gross because I'm just like enough with Ed Burns and her just like making out while they're talking <laughs> insane <laughs> like. So many, so many comments about that in the article. There's, there's a moment when uh, he it. says the o- the only good thing about LA is Heather Graham. I mean, okay, sure. <laughs> I, I I had a big crush on Heather Graham too, so like I get it. I mean, there 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 she is, yeah. Um, but like Ed Burns, come on. Anyway, um, and like they don't Burns- watch TV apart from oh, sixty oh, minutes. And they said that. <laughs> oh my god. Minutes. Like they watch 60 Minutes. And then she follows it up by saying, we make out a lot. Yeah. She loves her, the, the stuff about the interior oh. design, about how she hadn't picked any of the, the pieces out herself and her friend had decorated it. Yep. Um, that was uh, just amazing. She comes across as really, really stupid. And it's unfortunate, but they really do. This Tori bats away her cat. It's amazing. Um, she comes across as really dumb and that's that's maybe the that the hatchet part of it is twofold she comes across as not particularly smart but then on top of it there's the james woods component that's yeah. it's so weird it's like it's, it's actually fucked up right it's it's yeah. fucked up. it's fucked <laughs> up on on multiple levels so james woods of course james woods set his sights on heather graham because james woods is spoiler a monster in case you guys hadn't been reading the news the guy's like a fucking terrible person um and she's probably in her early 20s around the time that he's you know decided that he wants to to be with her and he's easily in his 
50s probably is my guess. Uh, maybe maybe late 40s. Long story short, they briefly go out. The interviewer brings this up. Mm-hmm. Now, it's very rare when I'm reading a piece like this where I actually feel the awkwardness of the situation and no longer want to be there anymore. And you can sense, I could feel how much Heather Graham didn't want to talk about this, how it was clearly something that she was embarrassed about. Um, They go back to it several times. (laughs) And she's like, you rang him? And she's like, yeah. "Yeah." And it's like, because he's obviously quite complimentary of her, where she's yeah. like, it's the worst, like, dating situation. Like, I've had, it's I'm really embarrassed. It's it like is- dating your father or something that she yeah. said. Something. Yeah. Then don't even get me started on another article that's coming down oh, the road the on the Lily g- Sobieski, the Lily Sobieski oh. one, where she's like, I've taken down all the pictures of, like, hot young men and put up old people, but that's neither here nor there. We'll <laughs> talk about that when we get to it. Um, but yeah, this was definitely just a very uncomfortable article that was sexualizing her, but also talking about how, like it was, it felt like the interviewer or the article was getting off on the idea of someone who clearly had a religious upbringing, someone who was very restrained and very sort of had issues with sex and then being like, but now she's a big star and isn't Hollywood great because now she can finally show herself having sex with people. I just don't really get it. Yeah. And there's like the bit about where she's like, I'd rather like, fake orgasms on screen against that, which is actually a, a valid point. And it goes back sure, to some sure. of the other, con- like it seems like there's a thread of like sex and violence throughout quite a few of these articles. And that point where you're like, oh yeah, then that actually makes sense. But then she gets referred to as having a sinewy body. Uh, it's just like... It's so uncomfortable. It really is. I mean, it's... What's interesting too is, so this run for her is, is Drugstore Cowboy Boogie Nights Austin Powers Bowfinger, which is quite a run. And it's understandable why um, she was, you know, the it girl for for a moment. Um, I think Bowfinger is interesting. Have you guys seen Bowfinger? No. Okay. Bowfinger is, a, is actually a really funny, uh, it's a Steve Martin written film directed... Stories. Cat is is amazing. Um, we the best part of this is we can't see the cat, so it's just Tori looking crazy, swatting at nothing off screen. It's phenomenal. Um, so basically. Bowfinger is kind of making fun. It is making fun of Hollywood. It's making fun of everything, every part of Hollywood. And she is quite funny in it as an actress who is who is trying to basically sleep her way to the top and and kind of using her sex, attraction, what have you, all of that to to get roles. Um, and then at the end, uh, in a it seems like in a dig at Anne Hesh, she's a lesbian at the end. But that's neither here nor there. Um. I guess what I'm getting at is I feel like, unfortunately, the sex kitten thing gets away from her to a, to a certain extent. And then it kind of just feels like that's all that people want from her. And it's, it's sad. Okay. Um, but I love Heather Graham and I'd love to see her, her do more things. That would be great. Um, Lost and Profound is this piece about 50 unsung movies. Uh, there was a bunch of stuff on here, quite frankly, quite frankly that I have not seen. So mm. I will go through this list and I will watch a lot of these films. There are some films that I have seen that I would absolutely ride for. After Hours is, is a masterpiece of weird, dark, twisted comedy. Uh, if you haven't seen it, 
definitely watch it. Um, obviously, uh, I'm a big fan of Steve Cloves, uh, who did um, wrote Wonder Boys, adapted a bunch of the Harry Potter movies. Uh, Fabulous Baker Boys is one of my favorite films from 1989. He did a film called Flesh and Bone in 93, which is really quite good. Um, he also, sorry, um, The Long Goodbye is also amazing. If you haven't seen the Robert Altman film, uh, it's tremendous. Um, we're, we'll post this list on our Twitter feed so people can see this list. A lot of great films on here. Near Dark, that Catherine Bigelow vampire movie is is fucking great too. Um, yeah, so, but there's just not like, a lot to dive into here because we, I don't think we've seen a lot of these films. So no, I've seen uh, four. I counted. I've I've seen seen like two. Yeah. So again, (laughs) the list is good because it is unsung movies that need to be seen. So um, there you go. Uh, A scandalous affair. This independent spirit awards piece is uh, (laughs) pointless. I don't know why it exists in this issue. I don't know what the point of it is. Uh, It feels so padded. The photos aren't even good. Like these photos are just like weird. Like that picture, the picture at the top of Christina Ricci is bad. Um, It's a, it's like a bunch of poll quotes and like people being asked questions that I don't really get. And it's dumb. Can I say there is one, but so it's like, you know, what's the worst rumor? that could mm-hmm. be heard about you. And it was Laura Flynn Boyle who said, oh, there's no such thing as a bad rumor, which I found funny because there's been so many bad rumors about her. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because of yeah. Twin Peaks. I was just like, yeah. wow, okay. Yeah, it's, and, and, and uh, her, her romance with Jack Nicholson, uh, which also, yeah, so there's that. Uh, <laughs> Uncut Gems is this 10 best screenplays in Hollywood that are still waiting for a green light. Most of them uh, seem like I understand why they haven't been made. Like a lot of these <laughs> things, you're just like, yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Um, some of them are interesting. This 20 billion, this Mike Tolkien uh, script about a sort of this, this kind of um, Bill Gates type computer whiz who's given this extraordinary opportunity to basically fly off the planet seems very uh, much of uh, the world we live in right now uh, when two billionaires just shot themselves into space for 10 minutes for no fucking reason while people starve and die. Anyway, um, The Good Shepherd, as we mentioned, is the one film on this list that did get made into a very boring movie uh, that that kind of doesn't really exist. I don't really like that movie. Um the rest of them uh, are movies that that are sort of understandable. The only one that jumped out at me here uh, is a Confederacy of Dunces, uh, which famously, is a, like cursed. Famously, <laughs> that was <cursed>. never made. <laughs> Great book. Uh, if you haven't read Confederacy of Dunces, you should read it. Uh, it won the Pulitzer posthumously. Um, the the author, uh, oh my god, uh, John Kennedy Toole. Um, committed suicide. His mother found the book in his bedroom. Uh, it was published. He won the Pulitzer. It's a very, very good book. Uh, it's begging to be an HBO limited series. I don't. I, I'm assuming that at some point someone will make it into a limited somewhere. It just feels like the type of thing that um, you know should get made. Um, okay, August on the cover we have Brad and Ed Norton um, talking about Fight Club. Um, there's an article about uh, the scariest movies, some of your summer scariest movies, sure. Um, there's a Michelle Williams piece, which we'll talk about. Uh, there's a giant Kubrick piece, which is interesting, but also sort of like doesn't really unearth anything new about Stanley Kubrick for the most part. Um, the, the, yeah, the, the main sort of, there, there's... <laughs> the, the best piece, I would argue, maybe of this entire thing that we've done is this piece on actors. <laughs> it is 
so much gossip, so much good shit in this thing. It's all about star power and how actors are the ones that really rule Hollywood. They're the ones that get pictures made and it's their, their taste that essentially gets things made. Now, it's kind of true, right? It's no longer true. Now, in IP and intellectual property is the only thing that anybody seems to care about in <laughs> franchises. But back in the day, if Julia Roberts says, I want to make your movie, that movie gets made, right? Like they read that script, they decide they want to make that movie, it happens. So it's not that this article is incorrect. It's that this article is fucking bonkers. And it's filled with a <laughs> bunch of castings that make no sense. It's filled with great Vin Diesel gossip. Uh, okay. which is tremendous. <laughs> but it also has the best first sentence of any of the articles, which I will read. Most young actors would give up smoking, hawk their Ducati cycles, and shave off their goatees for the opportunity to work on a project as promising as Reindeer Games. It is, it's a time capsule in and of itself. It is a wow. perfect distillation of so many things that I was just like, I love this so much. Um, basically the piece opens with this whole thing about reindeer games, a movie that kind of doesn't really exist. Uh, if for anyone who might remember Ben Affleck, Shirley Theron, uh, Gary Sinise, it's kind of just a heist movie set at winter at Christmas, which is why it's called reindeer games. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what yeah. else there is to say. It's 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 John Frankenheimer who, you know, had an illustrious career in his in the early days of his career, did some amazing movies. Um, anyway, Vin Diesel was supposed to be in this. Vin Diesel had notes at a time <laughs> in Vin Diesel's career where, quite frankly, no one knew who he really was. This is before <laughs> Fast and the Furious. He's been he's he's had like fifteen minutes of screen time in Saving Private Ryan. He's very good in it, but whatever. <laughs> So Vin Diesel's been Vin Diesel since birth, apparently. And we shouldn't, we should not be surprised by this fact. But he had notes and the director's like, go fuck yourself <laughs> and kicks him <laughs> off the movie, which is just fantastic. Um, <laughs> it's do, you just, they were, do you think they were Fellini-esque? That's why I'm wondering. <laughs> I think they must have been, right? They must have been Fellini-esque. Oh my God. I mean, oh my God. His whole thing about teaching The Rock how to act recently is just... I wish really I saw disgusting. that conversation. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I just—I mean, it's—it's, it's, yeah. The, the the ego of of Vin Diesel is really something to be impressed by, quite honestly. Um, so the top of this article says one studio heads. Uh, wait, am I? Yes, sorry. Once studio heads were the unquestioned kings of the movie business, then directors, producers, and power agents called the shots no longer. On the eve of the 21st century, the unspoken reality of today's Hollywood is that actors rule. Um, there's a really interesting section of this article which talks about the various deal points that these actors ask for now. So I'm going to read some of these because uh, it will surprise no one that no one gets these anymore. Like, I think that there was, there's like five people that could make these demands now in Hollywood. But at the time, I imagine there was probably far more. Uh, screenplay approval, director approval, cast approval, credits as to where their credits are on the actual film and uh, on the poster, schedule, likeness, nudity, publicity and marketing, travel, foreign tax indemnification, final cut, managers, and most favored nation. So these are all things that these actors were demanding in their contracts at the time. And now you're lucky if you get basically anything. A lot of actors, <laughs> a lot of 
of actors, their big thing now, ultimately, or at least the ones that can make these demands are back-end participation, right? Which is they'll, they'll, they'll take less on the front end and they'll take it on the back end in the success of the film and they'll make far more money off of it. And they'll, obviously merchandising and various things like that are still very much, for big actors, a big deal. Um, the other things that jumped out at me in this article are that John Travolta and Billy Bob Thornton were going to be in the shipping news, which makes literally no sense <laughs> to me. The shipping news, which now is notoriously the movie where that stars Kevin Spacey, uh, unfortunately. Also, was it famously known that he often uses a teleprompter? <laughs> How does that even work? <laughs> it's, it's so crazy to me that any publication... Can you, like, right now, that would be a tweet that would maybe catch on and people would be like, wait, what now? This publication is saying that these actors don't know their lines <laughs> and that they have a teleprompter in front of them to say their lines. It, yeah. It's crazy. It's so, yeah, crazy. So notoriously has a teleprompter, which I think is an amazing thing. <laughs> For anyone who's read The Shipping News, and I imagine that you guys have not read it nor have seen the film, but and that's completely fine. Uh, the book won the Pulitzer. It's a really lovely book about a man who's struggling with sort of an existential crisis in Newfoundland. Um, he's this sort of sad sack kind of kind of a weirdo in his own way and his his wife is cheating on him and there's just it's all kind of the sort of the drama that happens in this small newfoundland town there is no fucking version of this book where john travolta is playing the main character or quite frankly billy bob thornton kevin spacey's wrong in a completely different way but it's just so baffling to me that these guys were ever in the talks for that there was talk of nicholas cage and mel gibson for a perfect storm but they couldn't make the deal happen so it becomes george clooney <laughs> And obviously that film is a big success. It's just, this article is just filled with so much weird Hollywood shit that I love. Just the like Tom Cruise and the whole Mission Impossible 2 stuff. Um, I love that there's a quote here. During Mission Impossible 2, Tom Cruise got under the hood and tinkered with the script late into the night, tearing it apart, then rebuilding entire arcs. Mission Impossible 2 notoriously having basically no fucking script and no plot. Like that movie is <laughs> and like... And that's why I guess. Also, I'm not thinking because obviously there's that Tandy Newton interview where she talks about his like pimple yes. growing in yes. front of her. Yes. It's the, she's like just watching him just build a pimple out of just sheer <laughs> willpower is just incredible. Um, so then, then the writer, Wesley Strick, says, Tom is amazingly focused, especially for an actor of his stature. Uh, I was amazed at the amount of hard labor he was willing to do hour after hour. Wesley Strick, who, who now does not have, I believe, a screenwriting credit on Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> so, like, it just goes to show that, like, these scripts are being just, like, fucked with on so many levels. They talk about payback, which is a very notorious Mel Gibson fiasco with Brian Helgeland, who was the screenwriter and director of that film. Uh, they talk about, again, another notorious film was Harrison Ford and The Devil's Own. Him and Brad Pitt got into it a fair amount on that, on that film. There's also talk of Julia Roberts showing interest in Shakespeare in Love as well. Julia Roberts in Shakespeare in Love. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I sort of, like, my brain can sort of understand it, which is, again, she'd give us that pseudo-British accent that Gwyneth is giving us. And it, I imagine it, but, like, Julia Roberts would just swallow that movie. Like, I just think yeah. that, like... Yeah. So, but I think it's so interesting that Shakespeare in Love, as a script, is clearly a script that's, like, beloved and is making its way through all of these different channels. It's a movie that inevitably was going to get made. It's understandable why it's clever, but not too clever. It's post Romeo and Juliet. And there was that moment on Twitter last week when everyone decided that Romeo and Juliet was not a good movie for some fucking unknown reason. I ignored Um, it. I was like, I don't want to see this. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, what are we doing? It, it, anyway. Uh, So that like, yeah. Well, there was the thing with Shakespeare in Love, wasn't there? That Gwyneth Paltrow allegedly stole the script from Winona Ryder's house. Like, yep. Which is, yeah. That's that's the rumor. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Uh, So then you've got that whole thing. It's just interesting. Romeo and Juliet really kind of opens the doors to Shakespeare adaptations and mm. metatextual interpretations of Shakespeare and all of that. Um, and then Shakespeare in Love just really capitalizes on that. So it's understandable why the script was such a big deal. That being said, some of the people that got attached to it is interesting. The other person that I think we'd be remiss to not talk about for a second here because he comes up on, in several of these issues is Adam Sandler. Um, it's a crazy thing. Um, they talk a little bit about how Adam Sandler oversees every comma of Big Daddy's script, and I'm sure that's true. Um, I'm sure that there's... <laughs> I mean, I'm not willing, I'm not going to say that's wrong, but I also feel like Adam Sandler is a brand. Adam Sandler understands, his, you know, understood or understands his brand, understands what people like about his films. Um, I'm amazed by how many different articles give him a kick in the nuts over the course of this. It's yeah. <laughs> it's the one, it's, it's the every, one in the, the gray 90s one, yes, basically. Yes. Like, like yeah, all the it's 90s. So rude. <laughs> it's so rude. It's so rude. And that article we'll talk about when we get to it, because that article is also fucking crazy. But I, I did think like, it is interesting how in a time of like Jim Carrey and Mike Myers and, and a lot of these sort of very big comedic stars, um, that Adam Sandler is seen as the lesser than. Like the, oh, he's not, uh, his stuff is just lowbrow and stupid and whatever. Um, whereas like Mike Myers stuff is so high-minded and, and Jim Carrey stuff is so, is so intellectual. Um, it's just interesting how Adam Sandler just rakes in, builds an empire all while everyone's being like poo-pooing him. It's just very odd. I don't, I don't really get it. No. Um, there's then within this article on actors, there's a there's a, a whole thing about the perks that they ask for. Again, different time, 1999. 
motorhome, driver, cook, limousine uh, driver, rental car, jet fuel, three-bedroom hotel suite, nanny, assistant, publicist, security, stand-in, trainer, gym equipment, rental, personal uh, hairstylist, personal makeup artist, personal wardrober, fringes, which is just like just put there, like whatever that whatever that might mean, per diem, per diem, which is... $42,000 to the power of four. So I guess that's basically like they just, you know, get, you know, $200,000 or whatever. And then miscellaneous allowances. These are all just things that people don't think about that actors are sort of still getting and are baked into their contracts, baked into these films. You wonder why a film costs $200 million. It's because you have all of this bullshit. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, this article's great. Uh, I loved every minute of it. It was filled with gossip and nonsense and it was fantastic uh i want more ed- of this I, like yeah. get, people give us more of these articles <laughs> they they know better not to because it would ruin their careers Just, nobody yeah. would do this <laughs> yeah that's true no access like, ever <laughs> well no access and if imagine vulture came to you emma was like can you please just do a a piece a hatchet piece on why actors are fucking assholes <laughs> <laughs> it's weird isn't it it's like it's yeah you just wouldn't do it <laughs> you wouldn't do it someone else should though I, not someone me someone should do it I'd love to read it please do it yeah. love to read it uh, the Brad Pitt Edward Norton thing so I want to talk about Fight Club for a second we touched on it a little bit when we talked about Brad on the cover of Rolling Stone in his sort of gender fluid Tyler Durden-ness um, which I think is one of the things that's aged best about this movie is perhaps that. Um, I think this movie is very complicated. I look forward to us unpacking it on our Fight Club episode when we get to it. Um, Because I think it's a really complicated, really interesting film. Um, And I think that this article really kind of hits on a bunch of those things. But what are your thoughts on Fight Club? Have you seen it recently? Have you seen it at all? Does it hold up for you? As as obviously as women, I'm very curious as to how the film feels to you guys. I haven't seen it for a long time. Yeah, I, I, I really liked it when I did. But okay. yeah, it's been a while, it's hard, guys. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a while. No, no, no. I knew the tw- okay. I knew the twist. That was my thing. I knew the twist yeah, when I saw I already it. Knew, so. I kind of knew everything about it before. Oh, okay. See, that's a book. so it kind of. I've read the book actually, which is very different. Yeah. I think that the movie is um, grossly misinterpreted by a lot of people. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that that it became this broy bastion mm-hmm. for like aggro white dudes that felt like the world was passing them by and didn't realize that 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 this film is actually mocking them <laughs> and is actually yeah. a takedown of them. Um, so I think that that gets lost in the interpretation of it. Um, Similar in a weird way to The Matrix as well, which sort of got taken over by this whole red pill, blue pill nonsense too, which is its whole thing. So like both of these films in 99 are real lightning rods of um, misinterpretation. Uh, That being said, I went to see Fight Club in a theater with a female friend of mine uh, probably a couple years ago now. The theater was... 95%, 96% 95%, 96% men. And hearing an audience filled with men laugh at some of these jokes did make me go, 
oh no, <laughs> like, I, don't, I, the, I don't know that this movie is um, totally, uh, I think it's still being misinterpreted. Right. Unfortunately, the dark comedic elements of it. And I would argue in this article, Brad and Edward are both being very kind of like cutesy. <laughs> yeah. And, and <laughs> sort of frustratingly so of being like, we're so, we've made such an edgy movie. And like, mm. aren't we the, like they're, they're the canary. They're, they're so like the cat to the canary the whole fucking time. And I'm just like, would you please just they said stop? They're like, when, when, when Brad speaks, which is rarely. <laughs> And Edward, who speaks a lot. Yeah, it's like, it's it's also, I think, my feeling is that they must have been pretty insufferable to interview for this article. Oh, yeah, she hates them. She, she, defi- hates she definitely them. hates them. <laughs> like, the, 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 that's like the laugh sound when they're talking, I think it's yeah. they're talking about, it, it's like beavers and butthead laughter. It's so weird. Like, yeah, and I think she makes a comment about them being like, teenage potheads yeah, like, like, who don't remember the night before like that's yeah interviewing them was like she, it really feels like she's sitting there just being like oh for fuck's sake will you give me a straight answer please <laughs> like it's it's a lot of that and i think part of it too is and i and i do get it like i'm sure that if you're brad pitt and edward orton and david fincher and you're getting to make this movie at this time which must have felt like such a like um such a taking down sacred cows thing, right? Like, so to, to, it's crazy that a studio made it, really, when you think about it. And mm-hmm. it's not a surprise that they had no idea how to market it. Or maybe Fincher knew how to market it, but they wouldn't let him do totally what he wanted to do. So it's this push and pull of the marketing campaign that's kind of odd. Um, it's not a surprise that the film isn't a hit. Um but, you know, it's what it is. And it's such a big movie. It still leaves a big footprint. Um, I think they just got off so much on the, like, look at what we're doing of it all. I don't think that Fincher was maybe as much as they were. No, like he if, came across, a, I think, yeah, less douchey. Or like, I can't use only 37. That, that was upsetting. <laughs> just because I'm like, that's younger than me now. <laughs> But I will say, do you know what? She gets like a bit of revenge by calling them medium tall, which I found <laughs> hilarious. Like, what a better way to upset an actor to call them medium, medium tall. tall. <laughs> medium tall is such a great shade. I mean, it's such an amazing thing. And skinny as yeah. ferret? That doesn't sound hot. <laughs> like, she was having fun ferrets, after this interview. Medium tall, skinny ferrets is quite the description. I, I, I get the impression that Edward Norton was probably way more insufferable than Brad was in this in this equation. Where he yeah. like bought the same truck as him and was like, <laughs> <laughs> and Brad, Brad didn't even notice. Oh, I did. That's the best part. The best part is like Ed being like, "Yeah, I bought this car, didn't you?" And he's like, "Yeah, no, I didn't." And then Edward would be like, "They wouldn't let me buy the same one as you, so it wasn't this big." Like, you why'd you own yourself? You self owned yeah, yourself why? so many times. <laughs> why are you telling the story? Yeah, they they, they uh and there's like. I'm sure she mentioned something about um, Nietzsche as well. Like, there's something like, mm-hmm. oh, I bet you read Nietzsche as well. And she's just mm-hmm. like, ugh. Just- it's just a lot. It's a lot of, like, I imagine being a female, like, a woman interviewing these two guys about this film, which I'm sure they didn't want to be imbued with fratty humor or anything like that. 
Um, but they do come across that way in this interview. Like, I don't think that that's intentional necessarily, but it's, it's all just, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great article if you're interested in seeing probably what Brad Pitt and Edward Norton are still like a little bit. I like to think that Brad's a little more enlightened and maybe Edward is too, but this is them at the peak of their powers, right? Like, I don't know that Edward Norton would ever be bigger and more sort of critically lauded than him coming into into Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also weird because they mention it's only his sixth movie, which is kind yeah. of insane when you think about that. Well, what's insane I, is what his first six movies were. Is oh, sort yeah. of the, that, that's that's kind of <laughs> that's the thing. True, yeah, yeah. It's it's like, and I'll, I'll just uh, let me uh, quickly pull them up here, just so I'm not speaking out of school because I can't totally remember them. Um, but they are. <laughs> bear with me a quick second here. I'm guessing Primal Fear is number one, right? Like his first one. Uh, Primal Fear, I believe, was his first one, and then, um, oh, God damn it, what is going on here? Uh, we'll cut all of this, right? Will? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes, great, thanks. Uh, first film, Primal Fear, then Everyone Says I Love You, The People vs. Larry Flint, American History X, Rounders, then Fight Club. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a weird, listen, it's a weird career. Um, he definitely struggles with, um, with, I don't want to say fame because that makes it seem almost, glib like i think he's struggling with like i want to make he wants to you know i mean like he just it's like every one of these fucking you know he wants to be brando he wants to be like he wants to be he wants to shake the system and change the thing and do you know but also within the studio system but also wants to be famous and also you know i mean like so there's just all this kind of stuff going on um i do think it's interesting that he starts dating courtney love on people versus larry flint and she is almost cast as Marla Singer in Fight Club. Oh, yeah. um, I think Helena Bonham Carter is amazing in Fight Club, and I would never, ever want anyone else to play the role. Courtney Love would have been interesting, though. I don't, I, don't know what that, I, I don't know what that is, but I'd be, that'd be interesting. Uh, yeah. The other articles in this issue are uh, an issue on The Haunting, uh, which looked like a pretty crazy shoot in terms of the, the builds. Like there's a lot yeah. of practicality of that house, which looked really fun. Uh, the cast is insane. For anyone who hasn't seen The Haunting, it's Liam Neeson, uh, Lily Taylor, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Owen Wilson, because those four people make sense together. <laughs> um, it's a very boring movie, um, but it you know it's just it's just not good. Um, but the production looked relatively cool, even if the movie's boring. There's a Michelle Williams piece, which is very brief. She yeah. is very young in that picture. She looks like a different the person. Styling is fucking awful as well. Like it's <laughs> so bad. Like they put so much makeup on her face. Like it's yeah, a, she looks awful. It's such a weird. Like again, I'm like, what are you doing with teenagers? Again, and she's smoking in it, and they're like yes. mm-hmm. smoking. She's doing smoking. a play with nudity. Yeah. Divorced, like emancipated her parents. Fifteen. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. There's a lot of emancipation going on in these issues. There was another one yeah. too. Heather, Heather Graham, Graham did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I feel like Lily Sobieski was very close to doing it. It was just all like, what's happening? Um, mm-hmm. But the Michelle Williams thing, which is interesting, is um, she's, I mean, she's obviously got a fascinating career. She's one of the best actors uh, that we have right now. But um, seeing sort of those early 
years of her trying to find her way post Dawson's Creek of, you know, how to kind of um, forge a career for herself. She's so good in Dick. You guys have seen Dick, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, no, she's amazing. Dick's the best. Um, and they're, both of them are so fucking funny in that movie. I wish they, mm-hmm. I want them to do another comedy together. Oh, like, how do we make me that happen? Me That would be happen. So I would give anything for that. I would give it anything for like, a sequel to Dick, but it's in the Trump administration <laughs> and it's just them. Yeah. They're still friends and they're just the age they are now. I would watch the fuck out of that. Um, someone needs to make that. Uh, then there's a there's a thing on the Blair Witch Project, which is structured like the Blair... Okay, it's Blair. dumb, but can I just bring it up? Because it's in the letters page, the letters page, and yes, the yes, following yes, yes, yes. issue, yeah, yeah. there are people mad because they think it's real. Yeah. yeah. So they had to be like, uh, this wasn't real, guys. Like, well, it's there's also it's, so, uh, yeah, also is that there's someone mad about the Brad Pitt interview saying that she the interviewer is being all like horny over them. them, and it's like she's not being horny, like she fucking it's, hates them. It's amazing. <laughs> Didn't get it's that amazing. vibe at all. <laughs> there's yes. there's just this is the thing that unfortunately because of quite frankly we can't do a six hour podcast on these issues, but like there's a whole bunch of subsections within these issues that are actually a lot of fun too um in terms of just all the little kind of tidbits and little things that they were doing at the time Mm -hmm. um there's they do a review section as well obviously but they also do kind of to your point this kind of letters to the magazine being like they're the best because they're they're fair like i want people like i'm surprised there's a reason why i guess people don't do this anymore but it's a lot of people be like stop being so mean to these people that i love (laughs) just like all right it's great uh, then there's the Stop the Madness thing, which is all on Cannes from 1999, um, which was an interesting year in the sense of the films that I think were overlooked by Cannes at the mm-hmm. time. Um, specifically, uh, The Straight Story um, and The Limey and Ghost Dog are, are all great films that I feel like... I get that they went all in on Rosetta, which is an interesting film, and I look forward to talking about it on the podcast at some point, but... Cronenberg was running the jury at the time and that he overlooks Adam McGoyan's film is such a fuck you like from one Canadian to another being like yeah no I'm not interested in this movie is amazing um I also love that Spike is all upset about how Summer of Sam is being received but like Summer of Sam is not that good so like I'm, I'm kind of like I kind of understand why Cam was like we're not really into this but then I love that Spike led the jury this year um, yeah. <laughs> and then accidentally said what the palm door was first, <laughs> okay. which is fantastic. Uh, can't wait to see Titan. Uh, that movie looks uh. bug nuts and can't wait. Um, yeah. Uh, the Lime is another one that I'm sort of surprised Soderbergh was so someone who was such a can regular, um, obviously did very well with Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Uh, 10 years earlier, kind of surprised that the Limey didn't get a little bit more love. And The Straight Story, which I think is such a beautiful David Lynch film, and I'm kind of surprised um, didn't get a little bit more love. But All About My Mother is fantastic. Um, the best. Amazing. <laughs> it's so good. Um, so yeah, uh, September, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's on the cover. Everyone's my favorite, Michelle Pfeiffer. I love her to death. Um, I wish she had a better 99 um, in terms of the films that she made. I actually liked A Midsummer Night's Dream, but Story of Us and Deep End of the Ocean are very good. Um, but I do love that she's just, um, she's very specific about her 
the way she's perceived, um, very controlling, understandably so, of her image and of the things that she makes and why she makes them. Um, I just love her. I was so bummed that she didn't get nominated for French Exit, which I really loved last year. Um, and I thought might have been the year that she would finally win, quite frankly. Um, wasn't even nominated. Uh, I just feel like this town just doesn't give her the respect that she deserves. I, I think she's made so many just absolutely magnificent films. And, and um, just seeing this cover... Uh, which is, I mean, this is 99 and like, she's still like the most beautiful woman in the world and she still is now. And I love her to death. Um, and she's just so cool and doesn't give a shit. Like she basically, the whole article is her being like, yeah, so I'm basically semi-retired. Like I'm just not really good. Well, the fact that like you're 41, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. It, it feels like that thing 41 is quite old, which I guess I maybe in 99 was. And I, I guess because it wasn't, TV didn't have the same role that it has now where obviously when you hit a certain age as an actress, TV tends to be the place where you get your most interesting parts. Um, yeah, and, and I get the impression too, especially, I mean, she did a fair amount of uh, of press for, for French Exit and, and talked a lot about how like, she was raising her kids and she was just like, I, I you know, I, I didn't need to do a bunch of movies. I mean, when you're married to David E. Kelly, I, I mean, I imagine that's part of it too in terms of just like, you know, you don't you don't need to bring in as much money. That's not a judgment. I'm just saying, like, that's just a thing. And she spent many years raising her kids, and you know, nothing yeah. wrong with that. Um, I do wish that the times that she did make films that that perhaps those films were were just different movies sometimes. But that's what it is. Um, she'll do what lies beneath in 2000 with Harrison Ford, and that's obviously a big hit. And I actually kind of like what lies beneath i mean i think there's some i want the bathroom at the very least in my future i haven't seen it in a long time but i remember liking it when i did I like it. it's very hitchcocky and like it's just it's smack is doing hitchcock but i, I dig it um <laughs> she said she's me. been on the internet twice yeah <laughs> first of all <laughs> i love the perception of the internet yeah like just the idea that it's like a place you go for a vacation like i'm just i'm gonna go to the internet for a little bit i don't really get it um, there's a piece <laughs> on, um, this, this kiss me deadly thing, which I'm a little confused by what it was supposed, I don't really understand it. Do you guys understand it? This, um, I realized I didn't, cause I thought I had this one, <laughs> but I, I won't, so I've only read the Michelle Five cause I was like, oh, I've read Michelle Pfeiffer article. I realized I didn't get any, I didn't ask oh, for the other it's one. All good. So no it's worries. Charity. No, it's all good. <laughs> um, there's this, it's like a photo shoot with James Marsden and Bridget Wilson. Yeah. Two people that. That, you know, James Marsden's had a career, but it's kind of an odd one. And Bridget Wilson obviously kind of disappeared. Um, but it's sort of this odd sort of pseudo photo shoot thing that I just didn't really get. And then there's the Lily Sobieski article, um, which is uh, very strange. Weird. Did you? Yeah, you read it, uh, Tori? Yeah. Um, so first of all... With no no disrespect to Lily Sobieski, but like the fact that there was a moment when Hollywood was like, "This is the girl," is a little bit. I mean, she doesn't have that much range. She's very she's very stunning. She's attractive. She's got this kind of interesting look to her, which is why she has her two scenes in Eyes Wide Shut, which, um, like she she gave off the vibe that obviously the Kubrick wanted. Um, there's a line in it where she says, I'm taking John, she took Johnny Depp and Jonathan Reese Myers off her wall and replaced them with Chris Christopherson, Hugh Hefner and Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and then she says, I have this feeling wild. with men over 60. It's wild, yeah. right? Like how old is she fuck? in the interview? Is she like 16 or something? Yeah. <laughs> 17, 16 or 17. Wow. 
It's I, I, I today that would just you wouldn't put that in an article, right? Like yeah. you just would be like, no. no. Yeah. And then she says, this is a quote. She's asked about Hugh Hefner by the interviewer, and she says, How fun is it that this guy built a whole empire based on breasts and asses? It's funny. So weird. Wow. Like, was this well, I guess this was just before Girls of the Playboy Mansion like became a show. So maybe I guess they were kind of ramping up to it's Playboy. It's weird. It's weird. I, did, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Um <laughs> It's it's a bummer. So moving on to October, on the cover is Winona Ryder and Angelina Jolie for Girl Interrupted. It's the quote-unquote vanguard Hollywood issue, and I, I, I'm still a little unclear as to what that really means. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've read the issue, and I'm still sort of like, I guess it's their sort of um, auteurs, people that kind of push the boundaries of things, I guess, sort of. Um, I'm not... So the Hall of Fame, the Vanguard Hall of Fame thing. That was very what the What was <laughs> What the fuck was that, right? I, Again, I, I was filler. Like, right? it, was, it was definitely Didn't filler. they compare Christina Ricci to Bridget Bardot? Yes, like, <laughs> correct, correct. Okay. They do. Um, they, it's, I'm, I'm just, I'm pulling up the, just so I have it in front of me, the was, actual. Like uh, categories so are so weird. The misfit. So categories <laughs> are super strange. There's, um. I'm just I'm just pulling it up here so I can talk Blessed about the Blessed and cursed. It was like people who died from drug overdoses. <laughs> it was so weird. It's it's a, it's a very strange. It's it's definitely padding. There's just a lot of like for people that don't have the issue in front of them for our listeners. It's very big pictures, not a lot of text, mm-hmm. and it's just sort of like misfits and bombshells and like these kind of odd monikers like radical cheek and having like the great dictator. You're just like, but what does that fucking mean? And then um, uh, New Eccentrics, they have the Coen brothers. I mean, okay. Outcasts, they have very strange choices for a lot of these people. Um, Blessed and Cursed, as you mentioned, people that died from drug overdoses. Um, Just a lot of odd. I don't, I just didn't get it. It's, and it's long. It's like mm-hmm. twenty pages. Um, I was so just like anyway, flipping. That, do you think someone like what? something like I feel like something fell through and they were like, "Fuck, we need something really quickly." <laughs> yeah, Everyone yeah. all night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really it feels does. that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then there's the uh, the Martin Scorsese and Spike Lee piece, which is really interesting. Um, they've worked together, obviously. Scorsese produced Clockers, uh, Spike Lee's film Clockers. Um, it's it's a really uh, fascinating piece. First of all, to hear Scorsese talking about how his next film would be Gangs of New York, which is the first film that he does with Leonardo DiCaprio, obviously, uh, and a notoriously fraught movie um, that uh, I've watched on several occasions and been like, what could have been? Like, there's... there's you know, I saw in seventh grade, seventh grade history class, we watched Gangs of New York. <laughs> Such really? a specific memory. Yes. What? That's... Uh, so how old are you in seventh grade? Like 12, maybe. Wow. That's not appropriate. <laughs> I think it was like one of the things where like you would fast forward. Not appropriate. <laughs> did they, did they fast it. forward through things? Through things, no yeah. Way. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah, because like Daniel Day Lewis gives like an entire monologue about like oral yeah. sex. And it's just, yeah, it's yeah, that movie's not okay for 12-year-olds. Um it's <laughs> I guess what I mean when I say what could have been, and this is this is 
notorious, you know, Harvey Weinstein shit where like, uh, Scorsese wanted to make Games of New York for a very long time. It was a book that he, that he wanted to adapt, went through many, many scripts, many writers. Um, it was a passion project of his. Um, and Scorsese goes to Weinstein and Weinstein gets him the money to, to get it made, right? Like ponies up the money. Uh, and, and you know, Weinstein thought it was going to be more Oscars. He thought it was going to be like the big Oscar movie. He thought it was going to make lots of money. Why? Why would you think that? It's a three-hour <laughs> period piece about gangs in New York. And like, it's, it's, I, I, I don't, I just, it's, it's one of those things where like, if left to his devices, Scorsese would have made a film that I think would have been much longer, quite frankly, more interesting, wouldn't have been sort of forced into certain choices. Um, I probably wouldn't have cast Leonardo DiCaprio and Cameron Diaz. Um, Cameron Diaz is just so miscast in that movie. It's crazy. The accent, the accent uh, is upsetting. I love but, but Cameron for the accent. It's crazy, right? Yeah. And like, listen, Daniel Day-Lewis is magnetic. I'd watch him, you know, read a phone book. And he's he is a reason to watch the film, as is the production design and the, you know, the production across the board, the costumes, all of it. Um but there's a masterpiece movie there, and instead we're given like a B minus movie, and it's a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Scorsese and Spike Lee both talking about how they don't care about winning Oscars. <laughs> Come on now, <laughs> like they want their Oscars, they're just yeah. like you know. So there's that. Um, what are your thoughts on the Winona Ryder Angelina Jolie article? I was like, we both pause. Yeah, it's it's interesting it's very because much, it's very much like we're not friends. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, I love that book and I love that movie, so mm-hmm. like I'm gonna come at it from that. But yeah, it's interesting how they're trying to like they're trying to write about this movie that's about women. It's actually I think a female writer as well, but it feels like they're trying to write about it as if it's guys in a weird way. Yep. Like there's that whole like. Is Angelina being method yeah. kind of thing? It made me sad because Brittany Murphy comes across as like an amazing person. Uh, that made me sad on me. And how everyone yeah. would leave on the weekends and yeah. Winona would stay with Elizabeth Moss. Like Except 16. for Winona Ryder. Yeah, like yeah. The, the fact that Elizabeth Moss is 16 when she's doing that movie is uh, kind of yeah. insane. It just It's a weird one because, yeah, it's like, it's such a... When they talk about Winona Ryder's, um, the fact that she was like in a psychiatric hospital in the early yeah. 90s which yeah. felt like a revelation i didn't necessarily know it was like a week or like a month or something yeah she, she left yeah. after a week yeah she didn't stay yeah. very long it, uh, you know it's it's a very i thought it was a fascinating piece um mm-hmm. i really liked it uh for a bunch of reasons i similar to you guys do really love that movie i think that movie is underrated and i wish that that movie was the beginning of the next chapter of Winona Ryder's career that just unfortunately never happened. Um, I think that the film, uh, I think Winona Ryder should have been nominated for best actor for the film. I think she's fantastic in it. It was obviously a passion project of hers. She produced it. Um, it, it's just, uh, it, it, the article really taps into, um, how rare it is that a piece like this, a movie like this and a piece like this would talk about mental health as frankly as, mm-hmm. it, as it does, uh, especially um, when it comes to women um, and, and the various sort of um, difficulties that are unfortunately engendered in the world that we live in. And I imagine being an actress is only amplified tenfold. Um, 
the Winona part of this article was phenomenal. The Angelina Jolie part of this article uh, is a little bit intolerable. <laughs> um, it, yeah. It really leans into the... Um, the persona that is Angelina Jolie that she ran with for, for quite some time until she eventually got tired of it. Thankfully Um, this wild child thing that she felt like I'm the hot, sexy, wild thing, Mm -hmm. um, which feels like it's part of its own mental health thing. Um, And, and sort of her issues with sex and, uh, and, and sort of, her sexuality, I guess, is maybe a better way of putting it. It's it's mm-hmm. just a very, it's interesting. Um, it, it's it's also very sort of method, you know. Talks yeah, about her, her, yeah, her being Lisa on set, um, and all that baggage that comes with it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I also wonder as well, maybe because I was like, oh, it feels like they're writing about it as if it's like men doing this movie, but maybe it's because men are the only ones who ever talk about being method. So maybe in my brain, I'm just like, it's weird to read about a a woman doing it because most most of the time actually are like, no, I just go home. Like, or like, (laughs) or like between takes, I'll just be like, what, what's up? Like, like, so yeah, I think maybe that was the weird thing is that you don't get that. And obviously Angelina always has this kind of, yeah, the perception that she's like some sort of ice queen. Yeah. And I guess maybe early press didn't necessarily help. Like, no, with for sure. Kind of you know, I, I, it, she's very good in the movie. Hmm. I, I, I do think she's very good. I think that Winona is better in the film, but Winona is also um, playing the, uh, the subdued character, even if she is the protagonist. Yeah. Angelina Jolie, AKA Lisa in the film is so much more, of the, mm-hmm. the scenery chewing crazy performance. Um, I, I, I don't think Angelina Jolie should have won an Academy Award for, for the role, especially she was up against, and it's crazy. The nominations that year were crazy for Best Supporting Actress. She was up against uh, Catherine Keener for Being John Malkovich, Samantha Morton for Sweet and Lowdown, Chloe Savengi for Boys Don't Cry, and Tony Collette for The Sixth Sense. Wow. Like wow. it's it's just those are five. I mean, and say what you whatever you have to say about Sweet and Lowdown and Woody Allen putting that out of the equation. Even just the other performances. I mean, Catherine Keener is so fucking good. I mean, Tony Collette's the scene at the end of of The Sixth Sense is just yeah unbelievable. I just chills right? about it. <laughs> It's just she's unbelievable, yeah. and uh, you know, and then and then. Um, uh, Chloe in Boys Don't Cry is just a heartbreaking, wonderful performance. Like, so I, I don't mean to take anything away from Angelina's performance in Girl Interrupted. She's very good in that film. Um, and, and I would say that this article in its own way underlines why and how she cultivated that performance. Um, but I think it was so much more of the like, she's hot and cool and, and you know, and yeah. she played this edgy performance. And it's just, it's kind of a bummer. And I think, I think it actually doesn't speak well to the film, but yeah, sorry, Anna. It's also interesting as well, the fact that, like, Elizabeth Moss and Brie Murphy, who, I guess, weren't the bigger names, but the fact that both of them are like, no, we just went back into being us, like, between yeah. takes. Yeah. Like, they're like, yeah. why would you stay in this headspace? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, that would be, yeah. cr- especially for their two characters, because their characters mm-hmm. obviously have very specific, yep. like, extreme 
things going on. So I can understand why they were like, yeah. no, I'm just going to... Yeah, I'm going to go home. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go scene. drink. Yeah. Probably, Elizabeth Moss probably had to do like classes. She probably had yeah. to go study. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Uh, I think it's interesting too. I mean, I think it's my favorite James Mangold film. Um, I, I, I like James Mangold fine. Um, he's he's a solid filmmaker. I don't. I certainly don't dislike his films. I'm not sure that I'm over the moon about many of them, um, but uh, but I think this is interestingly um, for a film that's directed by a man that is populated almost yeah. solely by women. Um, doesn't feel male gazy. Doesn't feel gross in that way. Um, has a has a lovely sort of um, uh, genderless. Uh, feel to it, which I think is uh, is really interesting. Um, the fact that the hospital w- was still running while they were filming is bonkers to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just shaking her head in disbelief. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Uh, I don't understand it. I don't- How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to imagine that the location scout just knocking and being like, hi. (laughs) Get on out. We got to shoot. They got a deal. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah, they must have. Um, But it's also sad that Winona's writer's anxiety came back during the shoot because, you know, they were surrounded by people with actual mental disorders and and various issues. And I imagine that that only made it – I mean, I imagine it makes the film more – you know, uh, palatable and, and, and makes it more real. And I would imagine that the, that you feel it in the film, even if you don't know it, like knowing it now, I do have to say to myself, like it must've imbued the film with something, uh, mm. intangible that I think is, uh, is interesting. But, um, I like the Susanna Kaysen bit that she came to set and saw how dedicated she was Winona specifically to, to doing it. Um, it's a really interesting piece. Uh, then we've got this weird thing, Wild Things, um, which is just a bunch, just a cobbled together bunch of photos and people that I guess they think are cool. Um, (laughs) some of which are cool, uh, and some of which are very much not cool. Um, Brecken Meyer, Matthew Lillard, Tori Spelling. (laughs) Don't know about those. Uh, love the Emily Watson, Reese Witherspoon, Jeffrey Rush of it all. Um, you know, it was it was Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, birthday a few days ago, um, and uh, he is still one of the actors I miss most um, that we lost uh, within the last you know ten years or so. Um, it's an interest. It's a sad piece to read now. Um, it's unfortunate that it's so focused on flawless. Um, yeah. uh, another Joel Schumacher joint from, uh, from 99, uh, which is a very flawed movie. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it. I have seen it. It's Didn't a lot, like it. right, Tori? Didn't like it. Not a fan. <laughs> Here's what I love about what Tori's bringing to this episode. <laughs> just, just hardcore truth. Very simple. <laughs> I didn't like it. Just softly saying that what she does or doesn't like is fantastic. Uh, Yeah, it's not a good movie. Uh, It's odd that it was made by an openly gay man and yet so oddly misinterprets drag and and being gay and just all of it. Was it badly received at the time as well? Yes. Yes. Do you know what Flawless is about, Emma? I have no idea. I've literally not heard of this film. <laughs> I'm like, I'll tell you. I'll tell you very quickly that Flawless is about a man, uh, a drag queen 
played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, who lives in the same building with a curmudgeonly bigoted police officer, ex-police officer played by Robert De Niro, who Perfect. is injured, sorry, has a stroke, I believe, and and is nursed back to health by this drag queen. Oh, is he in drag while he nurses him? Most of the time. Okay, right. Um, okay. Which is why Philip Seymour Hoffman in the article refers to all the clothes that, you know, he was wearing, uh, yes. the various constrictiveness of the various clothes. Um, it, it is, uh, it's a, a very tone deaf movie that is very much a, um, a, a product of its time. Um, I don't know that this film, this film, that this article does Philip Seymour Hoffman justice. Would you agree? No, yeah, it's, especially the end when he's like, I have to audition. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, or I get to and, read for it or something. Ben and Gwen yeah. don't have to or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And he's complaining it's, about it, which yeah. I'm like, I sort of get it. He is Philip Seymour Hoffman and he's been in a lot of things. But also like, you're not really Philip Seymour Hoffman yet. Like you're, yeah. you're close. You're almost there. Um, I'm sure he stopped auditioning, you know, very soon after this. Um, yeah. My guess is he probably didn't even... Actually, did you have you ever heard, and this is such a great story and I love this, um, about how Philip Seymour Hoffman auditioned for Almost Famous? No. So <laughs> he refused to audition. Um, and Cameron Crowe, as you can imagine, was very, very particular about that specific film. It was obviously very important to him, loosely based on his own life, uh, or specifically based on his own life. And um, so he wouldn't give Philip Seymour Hoffman the role without at least meeting him. So he was like, will you at least please meet me? So they meet, and um, before they meet, he says could I just get him to read like one scene? Like, I just need to hear the voice of Lester Bangs. Otherwise, I just don't know if I can do this. And the, and the agent's like, he's not going to do it. Like, you can meet him and, you know, talk with him or whatever. And, uh, and Cameron Crowe's like, okay, fine. So he meets with him. I think he met him at the Chateau or something like that in LA. And Philip Seymour Hoffman comes in and starts ranting about the billboards all over Sunset Boulevard. And he's just like, I can't fucking believe all this stuff. It's nonsense. Like, I just, I think it's absurd. Uh, and he goes on this whole rant and leaves. And Cameron Crowe turns to the casting agent and says like, I just wish that I got to hear him read. And he's like, he just did it. Like he, <laughs> he did it. He intentionally did this rant for you so that you could feel what his rants <laughs> as Lester Banks are going to feel like. And I just love that. I love that, like, Phil Seymour Hoffman's like, I know what you need from me, but I'm giving it to you on my own terms. I just think it's such we'll a fucking great this. story. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I will not read your script, but I will give you what you need. Uh, I just think that's fantastic. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it's, it just doesn't do him justice, which is sort of sad, especially no, now, yeah. more than ever. Uh, then there's this piece on Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, which again is just a, a puff piece of, of some, uh, I would actually argue, better photography than, than most of these pieces have. Yeah. Um, you know, most of them feel very kind of like whatever and kind of as you did slapdash and just put together. This this at least um, felt like someone took the time to make sure that um, what could look really bad if shot poorly, um, that someone took the time to, to shoot these costumes and this, these sets properly. Um, what are your thoughts on Sleepy Hollow, guys, as a movie? Have you seen it? 
I loved it when it came out. And I think I've seen it since, um, but not in a very long time. But no, I did love it when it was originally out. I, I might be a little tired of Tim Burton now, I guess, and also drunk up. So. Sure. I think I also saw this in school. Oh, well, sure, because yeah. it's a uh, historical fiction. I think it was like one of those times where like, they just like put a movie on to like, do something. I mean, I guess it's old timey, and they're like, "I guess this is history." Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I mean, I'll say this: both of these films are about New York uh, and and hist- historic history from New York. So perhaps yes. this uh, is there's something there. Um, I mean, I obviously love Sleepy Hollow, but uh, and I do look forward to us covering it at some point um, on the podcast. Uh, I remember being just absolutely over the moon excited for it. Um, I was and to a lesser degree, still am a Tim Burton fan. Um, I look forward to him someday giving us another great movie. Uh, if he can, I hope he can. Um, Tori's face speaking <laughs> volumes. Um, yeah, no, Again, I, I don't disagree not a huge with fan. you. <laughs> I, I, he just, I, I can't articulate how sort of like in my DNA he is mm-hmm. as a filmmaker. And some of those films are just so fundamental to my writing and to the things that I do that it's hard for me not to be like, fucking love the guy. Um, but I'm also just like, the guy is pretty, pretty ridiculous now. Um, I'm also deeply resentful that he's dating Evergreen right now or Eva Green right now. That, that is, he? He is I did not know that. Wow. Oh. Huh. Yeah. It's. It seems as though there's a pattern for him um, of yes. dating women that he that co-stars of his. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, there. That's a. That's a big age difference between them. I. I can only assume. Um, yeah. But um, yes. So I remember being very excited. I remember the, that there were you know seeing the stills from it. It was just such a beautifully made film. Uh, it's it's understandable why it won best production design. I think it should have won best costumes as well. Like it's just such it's just a absolutely. Um, I, I would argue it might be his best production. Like in terms of the the the, the attention to detail and the specificity of what he was trying to do. The fact yeah. that also. It's crazy, but like I think it's like eighty to eighty-five percent of that film is, is interiors. So um, yeah. there are horses just running around forced perspective uh, sound stages. Like it's just <laughs> bonkers to think about how. It was wow. Made. Um, obviously, there are shots of like when it's the town square and stuff like that. Like uh-huh. those are obviously exteriors, but so much of it is interior, um, and so much of it, so much of it is just like playing with perspective and playing with lenses in order to make it seem big. It's just really, really special stuff. Um, and I think that this piece, or at least these photos, give a little bit of a sense of that, which was nice back then. So our last issue is November. On the cover of it, we have Kate Winslet in uh, a pretty heinous outfit, as we mentioned earlier. Um, uh, let's, well, I want to talk about, um, there's a couple articles I, that need to be talked about. Uh, the first is this shy, but barely about. Can I read the pull quote? Can I read please, the pull quote? It's please. so bad. <laughs> right. Okay. So it's, uh, actually, it's not so much being nude in the movies. That's the problem. It's being nude in all those producers offices. At least when you're shooting the film, there's a guaranteed paycheck and witnesses, which is truly the most chilling thing. <laughs> That you could possibly, and I don't know when they pulled that quote, if they're like, this is one of the worst fucking things I've read, or whether like, this is titillating, it's an odd, yeah. I really don't fully understand what 
the thesis of this piece is. <laughs> oh. It's so all over the place. It's written by a woman, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. it's written it by a woman. Yeah. And it feels like what she's saying is actors are, or actresses are fucking stupid for getting naked. Well, no, I think, no, she's, she's the one who is getting naked. Yeah. She's an actress, right? Yeah. So she okay. does a lot of... Because like, that was sort of lost on me in the sense that she was... Let me put it this way. I, I got... I gleaned that she was or used to be an actress, but there's a there's a, an anger towards he, successful actors or yes, actresses. Yes, yes. Yeah. And because of that, there's like this, this axe being grinded throughout it of like, why am I not famous? I did all this terrible stuff too. And you're like... Yeah, no. she's mad at like... I think, yeah, she's Gwyneth as an example of being like, when mm-hmm. an actor says they're a shy person, they're like, bullshit. Right. It's bullshit. Yeah. But like, I don't, is that even, is that valid? Like, I mean, you can be a shy person and also, yeah. you know, be nude in a film. Like, I, I don't, I, I don't know that things. those, I don't know. It's just, yeah. It's definitely working through some stuff. The nude auditions as well, which I actually didn't realize were a thing until the Noel Clark stuff came out. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I didn't realize that. Which is fucking insane. I enjoyed that she named uh, Don Simpson. That was fun. Uh As being Uh a pervert, which obviously. Not a Um, surprise. And the fact that she talks about also not, they're not being closed sets when she's doing nudity and that everyone comes along to how it's, it's very strange it's, and disturbing. It's very strange. It's very disturbing. It's definitely a time capsule of a moment. And thankfully, I think that a lot of this behavior um, has been curtailed. Um, I think that, uh, you know, especially now we have, you know, we have people that are, uh, for sex scenes in particular that are there for for to make sure that people that aren't no lines are being crossed um, and that people are comfortable and any number of things. Um, yeah, this article was just upsetting, but it was also just muddled by her anger and resentment that mm-hmm. I felt like she lost the thread. Yeah, yeah, there's no thesis at all. Like it's yeah. she, it, yeah, she's kind of mad at everyone. Like mad at the yeah, mad at the wrong people. I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> Like, yeah. and, but yeah, I, well, I, her book was called, uh, If I'm So Famous, How Come Nobody's Ever Heard of Me? So I guess that's... <laughs> it's ironic. Yeah. yeah. Unintentionally so, because I've never heard of her or her book. Um, yeah. So I don't know what to make of any of it. Uh, the next article is an article on home entertainment <laughs> slash digital filmmaking, um, which I wow. actually really loved um, because there's a couple things in it that were just kind of fascinating to me that I want to unpack with you guys. Um, the first was um, the sort of the article really taps into digital filmmaking in 99, right? This the, from a technological perspective, it gets, it gets too technical for its own good at times, but yeah. it, you understand what you understand that a things looked like crap back then when it was shot digitally, for the most part, it just did. <laughs> yeah. Right. But independent filmmakers embraced it because it was cost-effective, it was accessible, and it was an opportunity to make a fucking movie, right? So you were just like, I Mm -hmm. don't give a shit. And Dogma 95 comes out of that. You know what the Dogma 95 stuff is, guys? Um, I'll explain it just for our listeners uh, and for you guys as well a little bit. Dogma 95 is the whole Lars von Trier thing. 
Lars von Trier, Thomas Vinterberg, both kind of are part of this idea of, and they called it the Dogma 95, where there were certain rules that your film had to go by. You couldn't shoot on film. You couldn't have a murder. You couldn't have various things that were, you know, tropes of Hollywood films. So it forced you into a box and it created a whole, a whole, group of films, some of which are really interesting, The Celebration being a big one, obviously uh, Dancer in the Dark and, and a lot of uh, Lars von Trier's films. Um, it, 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 it embraced this um, ability to make a film on the cheap and dirty and, and just really kind of embrace the technology that was in front of them. Um, and we've seen that evolve since then, obviously, into any number of independent films and the fact that now digital and film is almost indistinguishable in a lot of ways. So, you know, we are where we are. But I just thought it was really interesting to sort of see this moment of um, of how exciting it must have been. I mean, again, I'm I'm starting film school in 1999, so I'm feeling a little bit of this, but I'm not, but, I, but I'm still looking at these films and they looked so bad and they looked, it was so hard to kind of really, you know, engage with them with their, you know, their blown out colors, their, you know, spotty, grimy, blotchy visuals. Like it was just all very hard to, to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the section on TiVo, which is all, which is starting. TiVo is becoming a thing, which I think is adorable. Um, the way they talk about it as like this little moment, but it's the TiVo and the sitesound.com intersection (laughs) that I think is really interesting, right? There's this moment where there's this company, which is Netflix before Netflix, basically, uh, which I'd never heard of before in my life. It's called sitesound.com, where you paid to rent these digital films. And I kind of want to be like, if I'm sitesound.com, I got to be like, is there a lawsuit to be formed? (laughs) Is there something that I can, because like, it's crazy. But then you've got, the intersection of the, of these two things in this article of TiVo, which is the beginning of DVRs, the beginning of people being able to record things and fast forward through commercials and not have to be home to watch things. So mm-hmm. everything kind of changes off of that, as you guys very well know. And then folded in with this sitesound.com thing where you're seeing essentially streaming is happening before it's really happening is just kind of fascinating to me that like tucked into this weird little article in Premier Magazine and in October of 1999 are the tea leaves of the future and where we are right now. It's just kind of fascinating. Yeah. I I also think the prices of DVD players are very expensive. Insane. (laughs) No wonder, no wonder in Fast and Furious, they're like stealing DVD players. There's one here that's like three grand. It's crazy. crazy. What? The whole entertainment system back then. I mean, when you think about it now, first of all, finding a DVD or a Blu-ray player is hard enough that you can barely find them. <laughs> um, and so, as, and believe I love, me, I still, I still use mine quite a lot. <laughs> I do too. I mean, my Criterion yeah. collection gets a lot of use and yeah. I yes. still love uh, Blu-rays. Um, but it is fascinating that back in the day, these home entertainment systems were so expensive. Mm. And now, I mean, this is this this comes back in a weird way, full circle to the James Cameron thing up top, right? Which is, he talks about the theatrical experience being impenetrable. Mm-hmm. And I just sadly yeah. don't think that's the case anymore, right? I mean, you can get yeah. a 60, 70 inch flat screen television in 4K for a pretty reasonable price. You can get streaming content in 1080p, I mean, like, or 4K, like, it's, Home entertainment systems 
are just pretty reasonably priced now and and pretty reasonable in 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 that respect and i it's kind of kind of crazy to to see that um and to see how crazy expensive these dvd players were back then um <laughs> then at the end of the article we have a really lovely bit with Thelma Schoonmaker where she talks about digital editing and this is sort of sprinkled in through through a bunch of articles in in a bunch of these issues but like that's the next frontier that we're really sensing coming out of 99 and going into the early 2000s, um, which is digital editing, right? Which is scanning the film essentially into a, into Avid or various programs, what have you. Um, Thelma pretty quick on the uptake on this, even if she's reluctant to do so at the time. She added a casino in 95 digitally, which I didn't know, which is interesting. Um, so, and Scorsese hates it. <laughs> He's just annoyed he by it. it. Doesn't understand <laughs> it. Can't follow where she is. I think it's fantastic. I, I love... Because, I mean, she's obviously notoriously... She's the only editor he's ever used, essentially. Um, he's the only filmmaker she edits, which I love. Um, and just there's all these old pictures of them in the editing room behind these old moviolas and just imagining sort of the progression of things to him just now cross-armed behind the computer, <laughs> just angry and huffing like an old man. It's just fantastic. Um, and then you've got Eber complaining about digital distribution and just, you know, like an old man with his fist towards the sky, <laughs> uh, frustrated with a technology that's inevitable uh, and that we're obviously living with now, which is, you know, digital is, is the future. And, and um, I'm not suggesting that I'm against uh, celluloid. I think people should still use it. I think IMAX is great, but like you also have to embrace where things are headed as well. Uh, two last articles to wrap up. The first is a, a infuriating article written by William Goldman, which is an excerpt from some book he wrote. It's so angry. With the- so many angry people. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of angry old guys. <laughs> yeah. Old white guys. Um, yeah. Uh, the gray nineties. And I guess it's an excerpt from this book he wrote. Um, and he basically <laughs> talks about how the 90s were a shit decade and that no good movies came out in 99. Uh, it is, it's infuriating. Um, he, he sort of like flippantly offhandedly mentions like five movies, three of which I wouldn't even include in like great 90s films. I don't think no. Four Weddings and a Funeral is a great 90s no. film. No. <laughs> Uh, I don't, and there was, what were the others? Oh, forgive me, I don't have it in front of me. Let me, um, Lethal Weapon 3. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry, no, this is Rene Russo once. This is Rene Russo once, sorry. That's, it's at the beginning like, of the article. He, he lists, loves Rene Russo. Uh, he does love Rene Russo. <laughs> Russo, God, not Russo. What am I talking about? My bad. Anyway, uh, where is it's this? It's at the very beginning. He lists like a ham, it's not like a, st- it's not like a list list. It's like um, in the first. Oh, here we go. Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah. Shawshank Redemption, sure. Unforgiven, Babe, <laughs> Hoop Dreams, which was from Fargo, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, or That's the other funeral, funeral and Groundhog Day. Yeah. What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which is now just straight up problematic, having Leonardo DiCaprio play a mentally challenged or, or you know, a, a person with a mental disorder. Uh, there's that. Then second, uh, Four Weeks in a Funeral, which is way worse than Notting Hill, just FYI. Um, way worse. Way worse. Uh, that's a ridiculous list. Uh, I could give you a list of 50 to 100 great films that were made in the 90s, like Stone Cold Classics. Here's what screams to me from this article, which is that all art evolves very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. 
And I yeah. think that, and people get left behind and people get angry and they sound frustrated when they are left behind. I love William Goldman. He's written some of the greatest screenplays ever written. I think The Princess Bride and and, and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid are unimpeachably perfect movies. Um, but like, you gotta evolve, right? And you've gotta be able to see how this art form is evolving. And don't tell me that there weren't shitty films made in the 50s, 60s, and 70s too. <laughs> like, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's... It's a very narrow, like, view. And, yeah, he's the one who totally bashes Adam Sandler. Yes. Yeah. Like, it's, like, it's like, dude, Uncut Gems, all right? Just wait a few years. Yeah, get well. I mean, William's not with us anymore. Though. He didn't see Uncut Gems, but, <laughs> but yes. This, but Punch I do, Drunk Club? Did he, he did have see, seen I that? Think he, did, he did see that. He should have seen yeah. that. Yeah. I also just think that there is, there's a little bit of a purity as well to the way people look backwards. There's a lot of rose-colored yes. glasses. I mean, I've been watching these AFI films for for this AFI club that I have with friends over the course of the pandemic. And, you know, they're classics. I get why they're classics, but like some of them are just like not that great anymore. And like, don't get me started, but like, I don't think Citizen Kane is, is the well, greatest film ever made. Even something like sleep. MASH, which I don't even know if he mentions. Like I watched MASH and I was like, what the fuck is this? It's so offensive. <laughs> MASH is, I watched MASH. That was one of our first films that we watched, which is on the AFI 100. And that movie fucking sucks. It's that movie so, is, yeah, it's so bad. It does. I want to say, because the TV show obviously won't be as like, I don't, I don't, like yeah, offensive, but yeah, no, I was just like, "What the fuck is this?" So yeah, like yeah, we I, will have a. <laughs> it's just it's also crazy where you're like, he's also putting too much stock in the Academy Award nominations as well, mm-hmm. like picking these you know what the five best picture nominees are as though that makes a year unimpeachable is also mm-hmm. just like, come on, man! But then he doesn't do the same for the nineties. Like he, I that's know. what I mean. It's like he picks these five movies from the 70s and it's like where are the 90s equivalent like it's 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 really crazy it's very old man yells at cloud it's yeah it's get off my lawn like (laughs) it's a lot of that it's a lot of that and then so our last article is the kate winslet article um which i mean i don't know about you guys but i i kind of hate when articles do sticky stuff like the the pretending it's a screenplay thing. Yeah. It made it hard to read. I was like, I'm yeah, not I reading know. this, but like skim, skim. Oh, I, I, I skimmed the art, the, the, the script parts of it. Yeah, like, that's what I mean, that. yeah. I'll read the rest of it. Um, I think it's really interesting. Kate Winslet's career um, is a fascinating one. Uh, it continues to be. But I think like post-Titanic, there's a little bit of the like, Hollywood doesn't quite know what to do with her because I think she, and it's fucking absurd to say it, but that she doesn't meet the aesthetic of what they think a movie star is, which is stupid. Mm -hmm. They keep calling her voluptuous and all these various sort of like coded bullshit things. Um, You know, you've got, you've got people calling her agent, asking her how her weight is like just stuff that's fucked and gross. Um, So Hollywood doesn't know what to do with that. And then there's also, I can only assume both Leo and Kate both went through the, what do I do next? Sort of, you know, the the wilderness of what that looks like. And I respect her choices, um, you know, working with Jane Campion, um, you know, making um, uh, the films that she made at the time, I think are are really interesting. As we mentioned, she turns down Shakespeare in Love. She turns down Anna and the King, um, which was probably for the best. Um, And 
she's kind of in this weird space. And I kind of feel like it's eternal sunshine that's the course correction. I don't want to say mm-hmm. course correction, but but it's when things start to get a little bit back on rails and start to feel like people are like, oh, wait a second. She's obviously unbelievable in that film. Spoiler, she should have won Best Actress for that role. Um, she's unbelievable in it. And it's also when people are like, oh, she can do American, which is part of, I think, the whole stupid American nonsense. But that's when things start to kind of ch- shift. The article did make me want to watch Quills again, though. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean... <laughs> What what did you guys think of the article? What did you think about? It? I forgot she was married to that guy. I'm yeah, just gonna say that she, the when she was fifteen, she was living with someone who was twenty seven. Yeah, so yeah, I don't I I don't have anything I good to say about it. And it didn't really they didn't like frame it like it was a bad thing either. And I was like, ah, uh. uh. <laughs> but like, it's fine. Okay. It's okay. Okay, sure. But yeah, I will say the picture of them. They look kind of adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Like the two of them look, very, and I don't mean, I'm not, I'm saying that like, she's right. obviously, how old is she when she actually gets married to him? I think she's 20. Not it's sure. not the same guy. She doesn't marry oh, the same not, guy. No, no, this is the yeah. one who like died. That's a different thing. Yeah. I'm speaking of the That's guy what, she married. Oh, I was thinking about the, the guy who no, 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 she, no, no, when she was 15, no, no, no. which is. Oh, no, I was not saying they're adorable. <laughs> I was saying the picture of her and her husband at the bottom. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. They look very cute. I just forgot, A, that he even existed, that she was even married to this guy. Like, I didn't even know it was a thing. Like, Sam Mendes is the first person mm-hmm. that I, in my brain, think she was married to. Um, yeah. It's just It's just interesting. She just sort of, there's this interesting part in her life of like post Titanic pre sort of eternal sunshine where I feel like Hollywood and her are just not really in simpatico. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Well, I do. It feels though like reading this interview and reading interviews with her now, she sounds like the same person. Like that's the thing you kind oh, of yeah. get this, yeah. like, like that's, it's very much like she's like, I don't give a shit what people say about my weight. Right. Like yeah. it's bullshit. Like yeah. you kind of get this like thread of like I don't want to say authenticity because it always sounds so like wanky, but like <laughs> it does like sound, it does seem authentic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like the Manly Linsky stuff. That's cool because yes. yeah. Heavenly Creatures is great yes. and disturbing, and the fact so that's good. how they describe it. Like I, you know, I actually her and Kate Blanchett have similar kind of they come across similarly or like similar headspaces of like yeah um and and it, it's it's interesting you talk to some actors um that that do the movie for the role right where they're just like i really like my role i really like what 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 i'm going to be doing and they're not really looking at sort of the macro of the entire project right mm-hmm. and and those tend to be the filmographies where you're like well they're always good right because they're yeah. always good like kate blanchett's great in pushing tin that movie's a fucking crazy <laughs> mess of a movie but she's great in it um and and the same can be said about Kate Winslet and I do think that there's that authenticity that groundedness that dare I say that Britishness I know that Kate Winslet's Australian but still like there's that sort of the distance hey, Kate Winslet's not sorry oh do you I, mean I, Kate Blanchett oh Kate Blanchett I was gonna say yeah right I was like you were like no 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 like, no Kate Winslet's no. ours <laughs> we claim <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but but I think that there's that sort of distance from Hollywood that gives them a little bit of groundedness and allows them to sort of be able to focus on the the, the bigger picture and and um, yeah, I mean Kate Winslet in interviews recently, even during the pandemic, yeah. she just seems like the fucking best. Like I just want to I want to have a beer with Kate Winslet. She just seems yeah. so cool. Um, 
and lovely and understands how sort of lucky she is to get to do what she does, um, which is something that is not only incredibly rare in these issues of these magazines that we've covered, <laughs> but also very rare in this town and in this industry. Um, so it was a, a nice, a lovely way to end um, all of this. I, I'll speak very briefly of the final issue, uh, which in December of 99 had everyone's favorite Johnny Depp on the cover. It was a holiday movie special. Um, movies that changed America from Shampoo to Saving Private Ryan. Interesting. Shampoo changed America? <laughs> Shampoo changed America? I know. I was surprised too, Tori. Um, <laughs> there uh, is a, a piece on The Breakfast Club. Um, I guess there's some pieces on Lisa Kudrow, Denzel Washington, Charlize Theron, Chow Yun-Fat, Tobey Maguire. And then there's uh, a bit on The Insider, which I would have liked to have read. That read. That movie's obviously a masterpiece. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I feel as though like this was not just obviously fun talking with you guys about it, but like it was a really kind of uh, fun roller coaster through the yeah. industry at the time and yeah. uh, really gave me a, a whole new perspective on a bunch of stuff that I didn't, wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Um, but I, I, I guess the thing that to end this, I kind of want to ask you both individually what you think sort of the biggest thing that you're left with from all of this? Like, what was the thing that kind of hit you the hardest over the course of all these issues? Like, I'll say for, I'll do mine first and you guys can take a second to think about that. But I mean, the the biggest thing for me ultimately is unfortunately the, the gender sort of discrepancy. That's sort of the biggest thing. And, and you guys might very well say the same as the biggest thing that hit you, but that's kind of the thing that I'm just like, I really hope that we've made some actual lasting fucking progress. Like this, this industry is so two steps forward, one step back. My hope is that we've made real change and that we have made real, you know, systemic change in more female filmmakers, more, you know, obviously people of color, um, just making sure that, that, that more voices are getting heard. Um, but that was the thing that hit me the most that like the way women were treated through these articles was pretty deplorable, pretty despicable. Yeah, I mean, I guess my thing, it, like, it's just how messy. I mean, it's still messy now, but just how messy the like the reporting talks about how the messiness. Whereas everything feels like there's the PR sheen now. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I think maybe yeah, because of social media, like you can't have these kind of slightly more like spontaneous. And maybe it's not actually a bad thing that you can't you know, do a hatchet job on someone. But and that's the weird thing. So I was like, yes, there's loads of like female writers doing these profiles, but half of them are like a little bit con- like contemptuous towards their subject. Yeah. So it's yeah. that weird thing of like women being against women. And like, obviously you can't be for someone just because they're the same gender as you, but you also don't want them painting you like a bimbo. <laughs> like, even if you are. Like, yeah. I guess that's I guess that's the other big thing that that I took away from it was uh how bold these these pieces are. Like the the idea of them just being like there's just no sheen, there's no artifice. It's just like yeah, just out there. It's pretty crazy. Very different. What about you, Tori? One a lot of cigarette ads. Yes, so many cigarette ads. <laughs> and they're like they have the, the the surgeon general warning so it's like Buy our cigarettes, be you will die. Um, <laughs> that, that was my number one thing. 
And the other just like, yeah, the women, there's like a lot of, this kind of carries over from the Rolling Stone as well, where it's like a lot of weird comments about women's bodies. Like the way they describe yeah. women is very weird. And hopefully that is not as common now. But yeah, that was the, yeah, basically what you said. A lot of weird stuff about women that hopefully is. I'm so glad you mentioned the advertisements because I, I do want to just talk about that very briefly and then I'll let you guys go because I know we've been talking for a very long time. But I'll just say um, lots of jeans, like ads for weird jeans with like w- ladies' jeans with like celebrities, you know, like Alyssa Milano in a pair of like crazy ass oh, jeans. I didn't in front have of, like, any of those. In, like, some, oh, no. I, can, I can show you. Hold on. Because there's, there's so many of them. Um, Yes, lots of yeah, uh, lots of things. Pops out. There's, there's <laughs> the like ridiculous. This is a Sarah ad. Yeah, it's it's. What nuts. brand is that? Well, here's um, Marlboro. Oh, okay. Here's here's ah. Maya Maya for Bongo. <laughs> Bongo. And then and then there was another one. Bear with me for one second here as I as I find it. Um, it's it's also a different uh, a different time when like you had stuff like this. Where you'd have like a big old advertisement <laughs> for Titanic being on DVD, which I just absolutely love. Um, and then, oh, here it is. Here's Alyssa Milano for introducing Candy's jeans. Oh my God, Candy's. Wow. Oh, that's a flashback. That's a look. Oh, it's, it's wow. Just, it's crazy. And then I posted a thing on, uh, on Twitter of, um, of this like really weird DVD. Um, <laughs> Oh, you like buy them from each category? Yeah, we had to buy from each category, but it was all like a Chinese food restaurant (laughs) menu. It was just like, what are you doing? Who thought this was a good idea? It's just, it's really crazy stuff. Yeah, the ads, I agree with you, are, it's just also amazing. It was a different time where you had like, you had stuff like this. Do you guys remember these? Where it was like, you know, Suncoast and you were like, you could buy DVDs. Wow, nice. But like, it's also just it's a it's a different time when the the sell through market, which is what they used to call like when you bought um, VHS when it was available to the public, because most of the time it was rental, right? You had to mm-hmm. rent stuff for many many months until you could actually buy it on on video cassette yourself. Um, so what do you got? So it's it's a lot of like that. I was going to say uh, that's premier merch. I want some merch. I actually do want some of that merch. <laughs> yeah. it's not, you know there's a bunch of it in a box somewhere for sure. There's no way they right. sold all that shit. There's just... Um, hold on. There was one other one that I wanted to... Uh, there's lots of alcohol. Lots of food. Yep. Like, like, here's what Tori is talking about in terms of just gigantic cigarette ads. For this Canada. is another one. What is this? It's like a chili. I have a like sex ad video. For Salem? I don't know what this is. How about this? so crazy. <laughs> You can, uh, yeah, sex sex education for me. (laughs) I mean, this is also, I mean, I'm sure you guys remember, remember this, but this was, these were huge. Oh yeah, no, I remember that. I mean, just the simplicity of these ads, but there was just like, um, hold on. There's a lot of cars. It's a lot of like. By the way, this, this is what I want. This is is literally. (laughs) That is fantastic. That really takes me back. The iMac to go in orange. Like, it's it's you... just it's really um it's a lot of uh a lot of advertisements for for cars for dvds for beverages i, think I need to see this movie i've never <laughs> heard of this oh i'm we're 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Literally doing it on the podcast tomorrow. Oh my God. That, I need to watch. I'm going to watch it. It's, it's on Paramount Plus if you have Paramount Plus. I do. I'm going to watch it. Um, okay. So, and then I just want to make sure that I'm not uh, forgetting any other ads that I wanted to talk to you guys about just like um, my phone some old nice old cell phones and i thought no did you have that phone <laughs> no i didn't like anything that was like slidey or flippy i had the 32 and the 33 turn i enjoyed it i just enjoyed just the brick <laughs> slidey or flippy she says yeah no slidey yeah. or flippy <laughs> did give you me guys the find that there was a lot of like kalua ads no just and maybe it's yeah. seasonal they probably have ones for different yeah. seasons I have cranberry and southern comfort because that's the combination I want to drink. So they also have this thing at the back, which is like a classifieds for like film schools and stuff, <laughs> which I'm like, which I found kind of strange. Like you could, like there's an MBA in media management that you could get at the Aubrey, wow. like just very strange stuff. Guys, Wasted. it was a different time. It was amazing. Uh, I loved it. I loved doing this. I now own yeah, fun. a bunch of premier yeah. magazines again, which is which is amazing. Add mine to my add to your <laughs> add to your collection. The question now is, what magazine should we cover next, guys? Because I feel like we do need to cover another magazine. Do you guys have thoughts? I wanted to brainstorm with you. Have I you done like Vanity Fair? We did. We only did. The, the short answer is no. What we did was a weird one-off episode. <laughs> We, we, it's long story short all we covered was the cover of the young hollywood 1999 right. issue mm. so i'd be 100% down to do to do vanity fair um count me that, in all of those yeah. are online all of um, oh, are there? Yeah. yeah well okay. as long as you're if you're a subscriber like subscriber, either yeah. yeah so that literally everything is there um, okay. i've got then. i think five of the print ones but yeah um and that's there's only they do that monthly right yeah okay yeah, well, then I, I think Vanity Fair would be a good one. Some fun ones yeah. and some weird ones, but yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. Vanity Fair is going to be. It, that's going to be fantastic. Can't wait to do it, and it's online, so we don't have to 
deal with eBay losing. And the, uh, the, there's writers that definitely hate their subject. The Kate, the oh. Kate Hudson one is 2000 though, unfortunately. Oh. But you should read um. it because there's so much contempt. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it's so weird. It's like, poor Kate Hudson. I think we should absolutely do Vanity Fair um, and maybe even be able to get uh, uh, a guest from Vanity Fair. I feel like mm-hmm. I've, I've, there cool. might be some ways for us to get somebody to, to come on and talk about it with us yeah, for a little bit cool. too. So, um, nice. But Vanity Fair is next. Can't wait to do that with you guys. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll do that down the road a little bit, but it'll be, it'll be fun to cover that. And um, also, when I get my hands on this Salma Hayek issue of Premiere someday, uh, we'll do a one-off of just that issue. So we can, uh, you know, close this, close the loop on that. But thank <laughs> you so much for doing this, guys. No, I can't you. believe we thank talked for three hours me. about Premiere Magazine. <laughs> uh, this has been tremendous. Um, you're both awesome. And I can't wait to talk with you guys soon. Awesome. Bye. Podcast like it.